All right, we're good to go. Okay. Let's pour some tea. Go ahead, give me your cup. Okay. Looks like there's a little chip on that one, so be careful. Okay. Thank you. Kind of tea is this? It's a uh, cinnamon chai. Oh, cinnamon chai. Nice. Yeah. All right. So, guys, I'm here. Heather, how do you pronounce? Is it Chandri? Kundi. Kundi. Yep. Kundi. So, I'm here with Heather Kundi, and you are explain to me the Scout Guide or okay. Yeah. Um, I am the editor of the Scout Guide, Northern New Jersey, and we are a collection of. Um, of, uh, <laughs> can you cut this? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting nervous. Oh, we'll just, that's what, let's just talk. Let's just talk then. Okay. Talk to me about your mom in the airport right now. Okay. Let's okay. just chill out and have some tea. All right. I forgot what I did. Don't even worry about it. I forgot it. what this guy You also haven't been feeling well, so like it's all good. We're going to get into all that. I'm let's kind forget, of a let's mess. T- we'll talk about that later. Okay. We're all a mess right now. Okay. It's the holidays. Anyone that's, listening that? to, anyone that's listening to this right now is a mess, <laughs> whether you guys want to face it or not. Oh, boy. Why, and we do it to ourselves, right? Holiday season. Families and gift giving and, and all that and just all the production of yeah. all the events. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm ready to take a little vacation next week. Totally. Where are you going? Home. Yeah. We can't leave when you have, um, you'll know this soon because your son is in middle school still, right? Yeah. Um, my son is on the basketball team and he cannot go away. It's during season. You are forbidden to go anywhere. So we're stuck home, which is fine. My, my family comes to me. And yeah. um, so we just hang out at home and cool. there's no pressure to do anything. Yeah. Sometimes really like nice. you need a vacation from your vacation when you go away because traveling yeah. just wipes you out. It wipes you out. And it, you feel like you have to do so much because you're not at home. You've got to tour or do whatever. Yeah. This crazy itinerary that you have to jam in. Yeah. Yeah. Are you staying here? I am. Good. Yeah. Mason's Good. my son. Well, Mason's 12. He's 12. Or, I'm okay. sorry, 13. My oldest is 13 and he's wrestling right now. So it's okay. the same thing. Same so, thing. Yeah. You're, you can't go anywhere. And, yeah. and they, you know, if they miss even practice, they get demerits and then they can't play in the next game. So I, I wouldn't do that to my son. Yeah. <laughs> and and then the um, the varsity coach will actually kick you off the team. Interesting. He's, he's done that in the past where he's actually, a, a child came back from a vacation where he told the team, you cannot go away. He came back from vacation and he was gone from the team the next day so yeah i mean at a certain extent like if you're younger if you're in like equivalent of peewee and like mason was in you know kindergarten third grade something like that a little bit different level of competition but how old your son he's he's, he'll be 17 in a couple weeks yeah so that's even that's you're learning life lessons of yeah commitment and it's important to understand to stay Oh, absolutely, yeah. and 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 I'm and I'm I'm happy. I'm this these coaches that we have are amazing, and they are forming our kids into these wonderful men, young men. And the the varsity coach just had this amazing dinner. It was the first annual mother son dinner where he had all the boys write letters to their moms. And my son, I don't know about your son, he might get less communicative as the years go on. Nick has always been pretty quiet. My daughter 
is like verbal diarrhea. Like she'll tell anything. Like sometimes it's like, wait, I just, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't unhear that. <laughs> um, but Nick is very, like I say he could be in the CIA. Yeah. You were telling me. Was I telling you that? Yeah. So he, um, so you don't hear, you know, you don't hear the thank yous and you don't hear the accolades. And he wrote me the sweetest letter and like, he does appreciate me, you know, it's nice to hear that every once in a while, you know, I know he loves me, but he, he thanked me for specific things and for being his biggest fan. And so that must've felt awesome. It was, it was amazing. And and it was all this, this varsity coach who put this together. Right. Have you ever heard of, um, I think it's like the love languages. Have you yes. ever heard of that book? Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. My yeah. husband and I read that Your together. Your son's name is Nick, you said? Nick, yeah. Yeah. So maybe he just has different love language. Exactly. You know, maybe exactly. speaking's not his thing, but like acts of kindness or other types of affirmations are for him. And, and you're absolutely right with that because he, as soon as I come home from the grocery store, he's up off the couch and he's out the door helping me with the groceries. Yeah. So you're right. He's not, it's not verbal for him. Maybe someday it will and that's fine. But he shows me, he's really respectful. He's a respectful kid. And so he shows me through those type of actions that he loves me. That's awesome. And also yeah. just by being respectful in general, just, just by keeping I mean, your mouth shut and how many kids keep. I know. I'm so talking. honored for that because teenagers can be nasty. Right? Like talking about like keeping quiet is a bad thing. It's like, wow, I wish some people in my life would stay more quiet. I know you're, you're absolutely right. And sometimes my daughter, like yesterday I had her on some errands and she's 20 and, but she can complain just like when she was five years old. Yeah. So. We, we started talking about Nick because you started telling me your life story when we were sitting here the other day talking about planning the party and all that. Yes. And that's why I was like, the idea of having a podcast and speaking with you came to mind because like, I just saw your depth and like, you know, they say like real recognize real and all that. And I know at a certain extent too, you were like, um, not really wanting to too much. Like I felt my experience was like, there was some resistance, like to even talk about yourself. You know, like yeah. to go that deep. You're like, wait yeah. a minute, John will come. Wait a minute. You sure we need to do this? Wait a minute. And I was like, <laughs> no, Heather, like I want to know about Heather. You know, I want to know about you. Well, that's and, nice. Um, yeah. Because you're always, you know, you, you always feel like I don't want to talk about myself too much. Yeah. And then you get carried away and then you go, oh my gosh, I've been talking about myself for the last 10 minutes. And, Absolutely. You know, tell me about you. So I, I'm always hesitant for that because I can go on and on and on because boy, I have some deep stuff. I yeah. know you do. <laughs> I know you do. And um, we all do. And that's why I wanted to create this space here because, you know, there is a time, like you said, to where there's a time and a place, right? And there's a space. And right now... I wanted to be able to hold the space and set the studio up so people could have that time, whether it's an hour, three hours, whatever you want to take, to tell your story. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that this is your time to do that. And it's, we hold the space together to have that conversation. Wow. So, do you know what I mean? Yes, yes. That like, could be very cathartic. There, well, well, that, right? But yeah. there's also, there's so many people in this community at Summus, like just that we know, that like, have you ever just sat with someone and maybe you've heard their story in pieces over your relationship with them and you kind of like put it together in your head because they've never taken the time to tell you the whole thing? Or maybe yeah, you have. never have time, yeah. But like, wow, some people have some incredible stories, huh? It, yes, and and I usually, because I'm so open, I usually, my husband can spend, you know, 10 days with someone and he'll come back and I'll say, so tell me about your friends from home. Like, what are they doing? And he'll say, I don't, I mean, I don't, are, are they still married? Like, how's their marriage? How are their yeah. children? 
we didn't talk about that. And so for me, I can get people to tell me things just because I'm pretty honest right off the bat. Yeah. Um, I've just, my dad is that way. And I guess I get that from my dad. Right. That's awesome. It's kind of, it can be a curse too, because sometimes people are, who are not open get kind of scared of you. <laughs> yeah, totally. Right? right. It's like, oh, why are you prying so much? Like, why are you asking right, questions? But, right, right. Um, my wife and also my ex, Danny, right? Uh-huh. They'll, they'll say, just, I guess it sounds like into what you just said with your husband, like, oh, well, did this happen or did that happen? Or, you know, I'm like, I don't know. I didn't ask. You know what I mean? They're like, why did you think to ask? Like, why can't you get the details? Because to them, like those things are important. And it's not like from a gossip perspective, it's like, that's where their priorities lie for themselves. So that's what they ask yes. about. Yes. And uh, so maybe there's like a balance and both. Maybe like I get to prioritize more things that you're interested in and vice versa, right? Like exactly. To, to form that balance. Yeah, because vice versa, John is always like, oh my gosh, wait, you met this person you had a 10 minute conversation with them and you know all of this. Right. <laughs> He's like, I couldn't get that in a week if I tried. Right. And that could, that could also like, that's also good coaching too. That you yeah. just like hit them right between the eyes and get, <laughs> to, get, get right to the root of the problem. Right. 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 I mean, sometimes it disarms people. Sometimes it scares them, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we were talking about your, um, the reason your son came up was because we we're talking about your family and John right now, your current husband. Yes. And like, that whole thing and how that went down in their past. And like, so you like, how did that, can you, can you get back into that with me? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what we, we I guess we spoke about my meeting my husband yeah. and um, he's, we've been married for five years. Right. And when he came in, I, I was single for 10 years. Yeah. And when he came into our lives, um, we all knew right away because when you date as, as you know, um, when you date as a parent, yeah, it's really different from when you're dating as a single young person right. where you're only dating for yourself and then you're dating for your children as well. Yeah. And I did, I had a, a couple of serious relationships where I loved the guys, loved them tremendously, but I couldn't see them as a stepfather to my child and my children. And when John came along, he was amazing. And he, right away, my kids clicked with them and they knew and since they knew, and I, I mean, I, we were only dating for four months when we got engaged. So after 10 long years, he became the most wonderful stepfather to my children who needed him desperately at that time because my, their father had checked out. Um, and, you know, when I say checked out, he was, um, he was mentally ill and he was, um, telling them things that was that that were very scary that the world was coming to an end that kind of thing and uh, for me as a mom who was financially dependent on him because I had been a stay-at-home mom for a couple of years after having a, a career for several years um, I be, he, he was a wonderful provider um, we lived in short hills we had so many material things and then it went downhill and um, and his mental illness took over. And um, you know, I don't want to say too much about about him because he's always, he was the love of my life. And, yeah. and and when I married him, I thought, how how lucky can I be? Like I, I can't believe how lucky I am that I'm marrying this guy. Um and so when he started to fall apart, the people that had known him previously and were suddenly seeing him again could not believe the change in him. So 
um, you know, my children had this amazing father and then suddenly he was just completely absent and also saying things that scared them very much. Right. So it was scary for all of us. Um, and, um, and then suddenly having to be thrust back into, you know, he, he lost his job. Um, I had to move out of my house and, um, and, and, and it was scary. I mean, I just can't even tell you how scary it was. Um, and John came along and he provided that father figure for them. And, um, and he continues to be, he's their father in every sense of the word, except for the, there's no, you know, there's the, they don't have the blood, but he would do anything for them and he has done anything for them. And whereas my, my ex-husband told my daughter that she couldn't go to school and she was, he was trying to convince her not to apply to colleges. He sat her down and through her tears, he said, Allison, you can go wherever you want to go. I will pay for your college just like I paid for my kids. What was, what was the reasoning? Was it financial? That, he, or was it something deeper with your ex? Well, it was going to be, it, it was, he masked it. I don't know if it was financial or not. He didn't have the money, but there was, there's always loans. He wasn't willing to take out a loan for her. And nothing to do with the conspiracy stuff of the school system or it was, getting in debt and all that also. Yes. It had a lot to do with that because I could see that though. Yes. Yes. And, and the fact that so many students were yeah. um, graduating with all these loans and not getting jobs. Yeah. And, and he said, it's better to go out and work and, and get the applied experience rather than yeah. be book That's smart. an argument though. I mean, that, it's an that's argument. a valid argument. It's a valid I don't, I don't argument. Know if you bring your daughter to tears over it. I mean, I, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't there with it, you know. But I mean, it's definitely a valid argument. It you know, is. I, I played devil's advocate for your for your ex last time we spoke, which also like this really intrigued me also because a there's the whole mental illness conversation. You know, my, we have that in our family. My wife, my wife's mother, and uh, my wife's a, a big advocate for mental illness. She had a a tumultuous uh, childhood growing up. Okay. And um, that's why she does a lot of work with um, the foundation that she does, um, Trinitas, at the Trinitas oh, Children's yeah. Hospital. Her and Donna raise a lot of money with uh, Jerry and a couple of the other people um, for that to get, um, redo the rooms at the hospital and like make it like more of like a childlike experience. Um, and then we went wow. to this event to hear Patrick, I believe it was Patrick Kennedy. Yes. Speak yes. He spoke. Of, I wanted to see that. And that so was really badly. powerful. And I, I didn't read his book yet, but I have a copy of it, but he gave us like a preface of it and like deep into the story. And I know his story. Yeah. I've read pretty, about it. It's very powerful. It's really powerful. And like what he went through, you know, with his mother, like being embarrassed about his mother and, um, kind of like, you know, world leaders sitting at a table and then the mother would come out of the room and, but I don't want to digress too much, but you know, it, basically the idea was that if we treat mental illness like a real illness rather than kind of sweeping it under the carpet, then, uh, or like just pointing the finger and saying somebody's crazy, then we can, we can get further with that. And you've had your firsthand experience with all of this. And then there's also the fine line as to like, um, brilliance, right? Right. Like, how, right. like you know, one would have called Beethoven insane. Right. So, and look at the symphonies that he created because of his thought process or look at, um, a child or, or an adult with autism where right. they, they, they can't function, but I see videos of this guy who can't function Heather, but they, they'll fly him over the city just in one flight in a helicopter. And then he'll paint you a mural like the size of this wall from his memory to scale. It's, like, a, it's almost like you're so balanced one way 
that you don't have life skills, right? Precisely. Yeah. And and that's fascinating to me. And a lot of people have, you've seen the movie with Russell Crowe, yeah. A Beautiful Mind. Yeah. A lot of people have compared Doug, my ex, with um, that movie. Right. Because he does show some signs of schizophrenia and um, it, there's just a lot of similarities there. Yeah. And then there's also like, and look at, uh, remember Dustin Hoffman with Rain Man when they yes. dropped the toothpicks and he, 529 or whatever it was, <laughs> like he knew right away how many toothpicks dropped. Like, That's amazing. There's, a, there's something, there's one part of the, to your point, there's one part of the brain that can sometimes be so developed that other parts don't work. And what's interesting, Heather, is that I've been noticing some of this for myself also because I've um, been like doing a lot of floating and a lot of meditation or, or a lot of like just focusing on myself, mm-hmm. right? Um, I've noticed kind of a difference in my thinking since I haven't been playing as much music. And I don't know if you've seen the studies where they say music opens up different pathways, neurological pathways and helps you see better pattern recognition and things like that. Yes. I almost feel like to a certain extent, like my pattern recognition intelligence, like has declined a bit. And like, I want to get back onto my violin and back onto my scales and back onto that. And I also notice a difference if I don't speak Spanish as much that I, I don't think as freely. And it's like speaking a different language, having that different rhythm and cadence, like se me habla español ahorita contigo, right? All of a sudden like it has a whole different energy. Like, like, right. And it's like, wait a minute. It like, and it's like, there's also the vibe, maybe it's the vibration, you know, it's like, how deep do you want to go with it? If everything's somatics and vibration and the universe is created by that, well, we're constantly giving off one vibration. And so I've been talking a lot about in class about like responsibility, taking responsibility to understand that, but then like also your response dash ability to respond, like increasing your, your ability and your response to something. So if we're constantly in one state, speaking one language, moving one certain way continuously, then like an antenna, we only transmit and receive what we've kind of calcified ourselves to be. But like moving outside of those zones and giving different types of vibrations, be it through art, music, movement, those types of things, and really something like this, getting outside your box, like then you can maybe transmit and receive, create a new space. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. What, what would you say when you say you moved away from music and language? Yeah. What, so what is the outcome of all that floating? You're telling me what the outcome of the decreased language and music. I, I just feel like, um, like I got very much into like, maybe I've expressed it in other ways. Like I've built this, like I still have visions and like the way things would look. But um, I, I feel like there gets to be, like I feel like there's a, a decrease in, in, um, in overall, man, Heather, you know what you kind of just brought out of me? Almost I'd liken it back to like overall spirituality, mm. like hope. Interesting. Hope that there's like more possibilities than what we're seeing right here. And kind of like when I hear about your husband or like this way of thinking, it actually intrigues me that like there's something outside of the box. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And you you really helped me with that last time. But, but, you know, but it's interesting how you, you're saying, so, you know, that praying is, so speaking to God, you're, you're praying, um, listening is meditating. So because in, in you're saying you're, I find that my spirituality is deepened 
when I when I when I sit back and I listen. Yeah. And and so you're you're doing a lot of listening when you're in yeah. the in floating so much. Yeah. Right. So of course you're 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 I used to think that praying was being spiritual, well, which it is, but I, like I wasn't even talking about the the floating so much. There's a lot of listening there. What I was referring to was legit and to your point, which fortifies what you're saying even more, my violin, like p- literally playing my violin. Right. Okay. Creating, um, I have a degree in theory and composition. I'm a composer. Oh. So I like wow. writing music is my passion, but so is this, you know, and like, so yoga and music and somatics and that, that has always gone together with me, but there's also like, you can get so far out. There has to be a balance, right? You have to pay the bills. You have to, you, you, <laughs> or I get to pay the bills. I get to put food on the table. So there's also like a, a, a system of checks and balances and, and accounting and like, you know, that type of stuff, finance and things that I had to work on. But it takes a lot to get to that point. You push that boulder up the hill. And now I feel like in the next six to eight months after I get to balance things out here with the new addition and all that, um, then I can get back into that. Right, but right. what I'm saying is that growing up, I, I think that because I was constantly in the orchestra and playing the violin and producing music and writing albums and like music was everything. And then uh, I think that's why I thought differently. Right. I think right. it opened up the, and, and, and speaking a lot of Spanish on the jobs with my, my dad and my dad's, uh, my dad's men, you know, his labor uh-huh. force, um, and my dad's family and all that. Uh, it really, it, it just, it, I think it just gave me a different way of thinking was my point. And yeah. I, to yours, it was because I was quiet and I was listening and just feeling you know, just just the ears when when you play the violin. It's also like how that note feels when you bring the bow across the right. string. You know, when you, when I rest my chest on my guitar while I'm playing the guitar, like the way that when I strum it to see if a certain chord's in tune or the guitar's in tune, not just the frequency. And I have I have perfect pitch, by the way, also. Wow. But like also, um, relative to perfect, I should say, but pretty pretty damn close, and like strum that guitar the, the feeling of the resonance of it into my into my chest and through my being also so it made much more sensitive as well oh yeah because you tune yourself and that makes you much more aware to others energy around yes. you oh yes i'm i'm sure of that and and we we spend i mean i should say we i spent most of my life busy just staying busy because you know in, in to what you're talking about speaking or doing is a great way to hide too. Yeah. Um, and when I was in in my thirties, in my early thirties, when I started to really examine, do a lot of self examining, I was told to listen, and and I thought I can't do that. Like I can't sit still for more than five minutes. I'm ADD. Yeah. So you know, sitting. Me and, too, Heather. <laughs> are you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's really difficult for us to meditate. Um. And and you know, it's a practice. And so that that took me a while to figure out, well, why would I want to do that in the first place? Why would I want to just sit and do nothing? And waste of time. It's a waste of time. Yeah. I've got stuff to do. And boy, how valuable is that Amazing, to right? our well-being and, and, and self-examination? Yeah. And um, I, I just want to ask you one thing. Sure. When you said, I have to pay the bills and I have to prov- put food on the table, you corrected yourself. Yeah. And you said, I get to. Yeah, good listening. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> so... Think about this. 
this is in some of the trainings that I've done and like the why behind this concept, there's a lot of context to it, but I'll keep it as brief as possible. Okay. Um, so if I told you like right now, um, or even this morning, the language was, and speaking about listening and how important language is, I have to pick up my mom from the airport. Right. Uh I have to, I have to do this. I have to do that. Or for me, like, Oh, I have to go pick up my son from school. Well, if I told you, if like a little kid ran in here and they told you they were going to Disney World, would they say that they have to go to Disney World? No. Like, Heather, <laughs> guess what? Guess what, guys? We get to go to Disney World. They'd be like freaking out, happy right. at the fact that it's a get to. So if I program myself constantly with my language to understand that everything I do is with gratitude because I'm healthy and living and able. The, and yeah. able and I, it's, it's a get to because in the blink of an eye right now, you and I could drive up the street to Morristown Memorial and how many people don't get to get out of that bed. Right. God forbid. Right. How many people wish they could just walk today in this rain where how many people complain that did you pass? Say, oh my God, the weather, Heather. Right. Like, really? Yeah. And, and you're right. That's such an attitude thing and an attitude of gratitude just changes yeah. the way people see you and the, the way you see the world. Yeah. So I, I correct myself as, as much as I know I'm human, but like always to like that, it's a get to. So it's like there's there's passion behind what I do here. So it's not like I have to. Yeah, I no, I it's amazing that I have such such a beautiful family and, and that yeah. I've created this. And it's amazing that I have my wife and Marley and Mason and and soon to be Maddox and and even Mason's mom and, and my, my extended family to per, to to provide and work with and and to and to have in my life like it's a get to that's thank god you're absolutely right you, i mean that right there what you just said about your ex-wife is yeah. is amazing because not many people have that yeah not many people are that close and and i had that with my ex-husband before it got before his illness got really bad because yeah. we were we were still best friends when we were exes yeah. because we were still our children were very young when we got divorced. They were two and five and we had a whole life ahead of us. And it was just easier. Some people would tell us, wow, you have a better divorce than I have marriage. And, yeah. and, and, and it was true because we depended upon each other. We had a very fifties marriage when we were married yeah. and I didn't know the name of our mortgage company and he didn't know how to pick our kids up at school. So, yeah. you, you know, it was, it was, we, when my, we told my mom, my mom said, wow, you're, you're both, this is going to be really hard on you guys because you're both so dependent on each other. And it was, and we continued to be dependent on upon each other. I did his laundry for three years after he moved out, but it was, but that was so easy for me to do. And it made, it meant so much to him. So, and, and, and he did many things that meant so much to me that would have been impossible for me. So it was, it was a trade-off and while you learn, while each learn the skills. Yeah. And our kids, our kids didn't have to see ugliness, you yeah. know, and they got to spend in the, and the main thing was why we decided to do it this way is because when they're little like that, it's so painful. You, we, we had every other weekend, you would have them Tuesdays and Thursdays and every other weekend. And so it's either feast or famine. You know, you don't see your kids for a whole weekend. It's too long. Yeah. But then when you're, when you're trying to juggle two kids all by yourself and Mm -hmm. they have to go to this sport and the other one has to, and you can't be in all these places at one time. Mm -hmm. It's really hard. So what we would do is he would just come to my house on Saturday morning and 
And he'd say, okay, I'll take Nick and you take Allison. And we just sort of made that just home base. Yeah. And we were still a family. We were still a functioning yeah. family yeah. because we needed to be, it, because that was the best for our children, I should say. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, also define functioning family. Like, you know, everyone here, like Brittany and Donna and we're, we function as a family. You have your family, I'm sure, with the scout guide, right? Like, yes. like, And then, so it's just like, you don't necessarily have to be intimate with somebody or like it doesn't have to look exactly the way, you know, someone thinks it does on TV to, exactly. be, to be a family, right? Or how like the neighbors think it should look in this perfect little world. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's it's so, it can be so different these days, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and it's just, I, I think it goes back to like acceptance, like of yourself and not really worrying so much about like, cause it's almost like a box that was formed. It's, it's, it's like likened to the have to language that we were just speaking about. Yes. Like if, if I had a dollar for everyone that walks in here and just in passing, like similar to the weather, like the rain today or something like that, right, Heather, they'll be like, oh, well, Gabriel, you know, like once you get to 50, you don't move like you used to or like, <laughs> like cause you know, like basketball is really dangerous or, you know, like, you know, once you get older and, you know, I, I, I can't keep up with the young guys and I'm looking at them like really like look at look at you know my coaches look at look at kevin sheridan or, or keith right um my if you want to look myself I'm, I'm 38 years old 38 years Are young you, yeah. I, I i thought you were 30 yeah but i can move and it's it's you're as young as you are flexible i totally agree you're as young totally you're, you're as young as your spine can move and your hips can move yeah. You know, if you're, if you're, if your feet lock up from plantar fasciitis or your hips are, you know, and, and I try to explain this to people. I said, you know, and a lot of these guys are really good businessmen, mm-hmm. you know, very prominent. I'm like, you know how to balance your checkbook, you know how to look at your balance sheet. It's like, so let me ask you a question. How many miles have you run with your body? <laughs> like, think about that. Like how many races have you done? Right? Let's say in, in this hypothetically, the client I'm speaking to right now is a marathon runner. Okay. Okay. How many miles have you run with your body? How much pounding have you done? Yeah. Oh man. You couldn't, you'd have to really sit down and even try to give it a shot. And even then you couldn't even, you're probably way off. You'd have to multiply by multiple. Yeah. True. Okay. How much time have you spent on repair and mobility? They're like, Oh, so I'm like, you're bankrupt. You bankrupted your balance sheet for your body. (laughs) It's really that simple. And I was like, so now you made so many withdrawals. Now you get to go back and you get to make some deposits. And the good news is that it can compound unless there's like some crazy injury or like, you know, you're, you're fused together and needs like some type of external, like manual cutting because it's, or, or surgery or something of that nature. But for the most part, you can, you can compound your interest with the deposits you make That's a nice by, doing, by doing the mobility work and very quickly get back to close to break even and then profitable. So yeah. your body can move again. Yeah. I, and, and, and I, it's in, yes, it's, it's keeping active and it's keeping your mind active. Right. Um, my dad is 90 and my mom is 83 God and, bless. um, she is in, unfortunately she's not in very good shape. She's had back issues for the last 20 years. My dad walks three miles a day every morning at 5 a.m. Um, and he is sharp as a tack. He's kept his mind. He's always been extremely smart. He was an economist. Um, and he, it's incredible 
the shape that he's in at 90 years old. Mm-hmm. And and he used to swim a mile every day until about three years ago when he almost drowned. He got <laughs> caught in a riptide. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, but he, uh, but it, it's, it's, yeah, you're, you're as young as, as so your, your attitude as well. Your ad- so the get to and the group think and what the neighbors think. Back, that's why I got onto that. So like back to what, what, you know, you're as, you're as good as the perceived tribe thinks you are to a certain extent. Also, I heard this, um, I forget where I heard it, but it was like an experiment that somebody did. And this guy woke up and his wife was like, man, you don't look too good. You want to go back to bed? And he's like, no, I feel great. I'm good. I'm going to go to work. And then he went outside and the neighbor was like, Oh, you don't look too good. Do you, you, you don't, you look like you feel sick. Should you go back to bed? He's like, no, dude, I feel fine. So the guy's like, it's planted in his mind, going to work. Right. And then he goes to work and his coworkers, same thing, goes in, hands a folder to his boss and his boss is like, man, you look like death. Are you sure you don't have a fever? <laughs> and the guy like all of a sudden started to unbutton his shirt. He's like, man, you know, I'm actually not feeling that good. And then before you know it, he went home at the end of the day and was sick. It, so it's 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 almost a self fulfilling prophecy, right? Placebo, like, yeah, placebo. The power of the mind, yeah. The the mind is so the mind body connection is so powerful. And let's even stop calling it a connection, Heather. Let's just there 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 is no disconnect. There they are one in the same. It, absolutely, you're right. Yeah, they can't like it, it's just they're one in the same. Good point, <laughs> and 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 that goes back to my well, I. I'll, I I can get really deep here with um, you talking about Brittany's family. I I and and about Kennedy and his book, and yeah. I really identify with that because um, my dad was an alcoholic for many years. Mm. He was a functioning alcoholic. He would come home from work and drink from you know five thirty till bedtime, um, and it didn't get bad until um, really late middle school for me. Um, and he. By the way, he's um, he's 15 years sober now. Oh, God bless. But at the end, he couldn't even... So 15 years ago, he was 75. Um, he went to rehab. His roommate was 18 years old. <laughs> he was by far the oldest because so many people said, gosh, you said what? your dad's 90 now? He's 90 now. Oh, wow. So, so 75 years old and he's got an 18-year-old roommate? Yep. God. And he's the oldest by far in this rehab because most people are like, well, why don't you just drink yourself to death? You're, you're 75. Like, yeah. really? Are you going to get sober? And, and it had gotten to the point where he had functioned. No one knew he was an alcoholic. Like, what? to your point, what do the neighbors think? My mom yeah. was a good Southern wife and she made our home and, and our family looked very looked beautiful the on the outside. outside. Yeah. And so my best friend didn't even know that my dad was an alcoholic until I told her after we'd graduated from college. Interesting. Um, and I, and I learned from my mom and I learned to paint a pretty Everyone just picture. got you still acting that way. So no one knew any different. Huh? Yeah. Oh no, no, no. And, and, and I would, I would, I wouldn't bring people home after a certain hour. And, and my dad was such a Jekyll and Hyde. He was the most amazing person and he loved us. And I never doubted his love for us during the day. Yeah. But then he would turn into someone I didn't want to be around, mm. wouldn't want to touch with a 10 foot pole. Mm. And, I, and, I, and so I did, I avoided him. But, um, but he, it got, it got so bad um, that he couldn't even stand up on his own. He had tremors. He the next step was really death. Mm -hmm. Um, And he finally 
something finally clicked. He'd been trying to go to AA for years and something finally clicked and he, he stopped, he stopped doing and, and he started listening. Um, he never believed and he was, he was raised Episcopalian choir boy, went to a, um, a, a Catholic college. Yeah. His dad wanted him to be a priest, but he never believed. And when he was almost, you know, when he was at death's door, the choice was, <laughs> you know, should I believe? Should I, should I try this thing? Yeah. And um, now he's he's back to believing. Um, and it's a miracle what I, the transformation I saw in my dad. Yeah. And the transformation, he is an amazing grandfather. He's an amazing father. He has supported me like you cannot believe. And it's what I wish for my whole life that my dad would stop drinking and, um, and that I could have this really, like I could call him whenever I wanted, you know, like I could only call him after, I mean, before six o'clock because after six, I didn't want to talk to him. And, um, and so he's just, he's amazing. And, and the gift of this program, um, and what it's done for my family. Yeah. And and I can get into the codependency and, and all of that where my mom is sick from codependency and that's why she has undiagnosed pain that she can't yeah. she can't solve. And, yeah. and and that's a whole yeah. other story that I know she can be cured, but she has to be willing to talk about things and and she right. can't. She wasn't raised that way. That's a long time though. Now I know you know because uh, first I was gonna go to you because you know people talk about their childhood, but First off, kudos to your dad, and you must have some <gasps> some amazing genes because, like, to, have, to <laughs> poison your body like that for seventy five years. If you had told me or, that or he would live till ninety, I would have said whenever no he started way. drinking. <laughs> yeah, he started drinking at like sixteen, yeah, right? And so he abused go. it for I don't know sixty, 60 years. years. <laughs> sixty years yes. of binge drinking. Oh my god! <laughs> and you're telling me he's swimming in riptides at ninety? Yes. Years old. <laughs> yes. And that's what's so amazing is that I didn't think that he could recover from this. I thought there would be some permanent damage. His body repaired itself beautifully. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And then there's my poor mom. Like so many times the sick people who get help, like sometimes the family members end up being sicker than the sick member because those sick members get help. But the sick family members who are sick because of that sick person yeah. don't realize they need help just as much as... They don't believe that the secondhand smoke got to them. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So that's my mom. I didn't smoke the cigarettes. I don't have the cancer. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, bro, you were in the room <laughs> the whole time. Oh, yeah. And, and worse so was you. I. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yep. So we spoke about John and we spoke about your mom and all that stuff, but like for you... Like that's a lot of programming for you also, you know, a lot of programming. And then, and then, so was your, was he ever, did you ever physical with you? No, never, never. It was all just verbal, emotional, which could be, I mean, which can be just as bad. Yeah. Yes. And, um, and I didn't realize that it had an effect on me. I thought I was a normal teen. I thought I was a normal college student. But those programs, just like the get to or the have to, or being too old or being too ugly or not being good, that's, <sighs> that, that's deep down there in the subconscious. So deep and so programmed yeah. and, 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 and those manifest themselves as fears. And the fears are going to get you. I'm fearful of what she thinks of me. I'm fearful of... Um, 
I'm just fearful of others' opinions. I'm a, I'm fearful of failing. Like all of those were so inbred in me, and 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 I tried to achieve that perfect family where I married someone that um, had a great job. I married someone who was from a very wealthy family. Um, it all looked really great from the outside, and um, and and on top of that, I tremendously loved my first husband, yeah. and we were. I felt like we were really soulmates. Um, and you may have been. And we, and, you may, and we may have may been. Be, or you may be. Yes, we know? may still be. I mean... But mental illness and, and, yeah. and my illness got in the way too because it was first my illness that that really messed with our marriage. What's and, that? The shingles? Um, no, my I, I was addicted to painkillers. Oh, really? Yeah. We're going to get really deep now. Yeah. <laughs> so here I am going along building this perfect family, living in short hills, decorating my home. We renovated our home. It was a big project. Um, had the golf club, joined the junior league, all these exterior things that I thought were going to bring me happiness. Um, and I, I, I was loving my life. Um, but this, the, the insecurities were there. They were, they were deep down. Um, and I kept building more friends and more things, more material things so that I could feel better. Um, and at the end of the day, um, you, we all know those things can't make you feel better. When I was pregnant with my son, I had, um, I had melanoma, um, on my right breast and I had a mastectomy while I was pregnant. Um, so they removed part of my right breast. And then um, after he was born, I had reconstructive surgery and I was having severe back problems. And so I was di- I was prescribed heavy duty painkillers. Mm. By the time he was a year old, I was addicted to painkillers and it just happened. Were you breastfeeding? No, I didn't breastfeed because him. Because of the reconstruction. Because of all yeah. the, yeah. It's like, the trauma to your area. Yeah. So I um, I didn't nurse him, which I have guilt about today. But <laughs> anyway. I mean, you, all, I mean you, had a, you had a lot of trauma going on in that area. Uh, so. going on. Yeah. And um, so, you know, flash forward, I'm addicted to painkillers, not even really understanding that I am. But after going to a spinal surgeon and getting a block and not having pain anymore, I realized I couldn't just stop taking the pills. I would mm, get sick. Yeah. So I announced to my husband that I needed to go to rehab. And he was like, what are you talking about? No, you don't. And, and I said, no, let me tell you. Yeah. And I spilled everything that I'd been hiding from him. And that was pretty, <laughs> that was pretty powerful because yeah. I had a secret and I was really ashamed of that secret. Yeah. And, so when my, my son was one and my daughter was four and a half, I went to rehab and um, I learned a lot of things about myself. And this is about the time my dad was trying to get sober as well. So we, we almost have the same sobriety date. Um, and um, so I had, I had a few relapses, um, which were learning. It was, it was just my path to getting to where I am yeah, today. Um, Pain. I, I, I learned from pain. Yeah, <laughs> so I just need a little bit more pain. It's a great teacher. Huh? <laughs> and it, I, I have to tell you, I, it was the hardest thing in the world, leaving my children for three months. And I cried every day. And um, it was my daughter read for the first time um, over the phone to me. She read 
green eggs and ham. And missing that was... How old was she? Five at that point. Yeah. And, um, and then, and then the path to recovery was, was a long one. Yeah. Um, but I'm here to say that I've recovered and this, the 12 steps, are you familiar with the 12 steps? Absolutely. They've changed my life. And, you know, when we talk about, and, and, and I'll explain something that as I was going through the, the steps and I was going through my writing with the fourth step where you write down everyone you've ever been angry with or upset with. Mm -hmm. And then you have to kind of do the turnaround on that. While I was going through that process, they say there's a, there's a spiritual shift and I had a profound spiritual shift from that. Um, There was a, um, there was a swim meet at our, at our country club and I walked in and instead of, you know how you can walk in places and, and see people that, you've never met before and get the once up and down yeah. and, and you, you can feel yourself going, okay, I wore the wrong thing. I look stupid. I am stupid. I'm a loser. I need to leave. That was, that was my programming. And so I walked into this swim meet and this woman from, I didn't know her. She was from the other team, looked me up and down and, you know, one of these without smiling and, and I smiled at her and I just, and she smiled back and, <laughs> and I didn't think anything about it. I disarmed her and, yeah. and, inst- and that was, it seems so petty and so small, but that was my, the first part of my spiritual shift that enabled me to, to that fear was suddenly gone, that fear of what she thought of me. And then, you know what, maybe she left that she left that experience thinking, Oh, that woman seems so sweet. And you know what? Maybe she liked my outfit. Maybe that's why she was looking me up and down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's really complimenting you. Right. Right. She, in her head, she's like, wow, I wish I looked like that. Right. And, and, and that would never come to mind before. Yeah. That wasn't on my, right. that wasn't on my radar to D- think that way. Deservability. Yes. Deservability. Programs are right. Yes. Good enough. It was always negative. Yeah. And so. Now, how did, that How did you get that to, through the fourth step of clearing? So when, you know, upon learning about all of my experiences with people and how I, why I get upset with them, you know, pretty much everyone I'd come into contact with on that list, it was all based in fear. So when you, when you get down to the root of it, you have to say, what was the fear there? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, take an example of someone. It's interesting what you said. Everyone you came in contact with, you had a problem with. <laughs> yes. It's like, but yes. at that point, you didn't ever think to. I didn't think. It was never your fault. No, it was <laughs> never my fault. Oh my God, no. Was, everybody was out to get me. Yeah, right. Right? It was, the world was against me. And God, you know, if, if, if everyone could just cooperate with me, then my life would be great. Yeah. So it never occurred to me that I was the problem. And, you know, people talk about geographical cures and a lot of addicts and alcoholics move continually. And, and, you know, after my divorce, the first thing I wanted to do was move from town um, because everything was very out in the open. My, my addiction was our divorce. Everything was just way in in, in that beautiful picture just shattered and there was no coming back from that. And I really had to fight to say, this would be horrible for my kids if I moved because I'd be ripping their family apart and then 
ripping what they've always known apart. And I need to stay still and I need to just face my fears and stay here. And it was, and thank God I did that because my kids are so happy and, and that's all, that's what makes me happy. And, and, and then I learned to face my fears and I learned that it doesn't matter what people think or say, because people are going to think and say, but, but the fourth step was so, the fourth and fifth step were so integral in changing my attitude and, and, and my spirituality grew so much. So, so to, to wrap that up, Heather, by you starting to take response dash ability or responsibility uh-huh. for your actions and look at that it's not and it has nothing else to do with it. It has nothing to do with anybody else. It has to do with you. It was your projection onto them. Yes. And start to realize that you can really have good relationships once you had that shift inside. Once you started to create that, that started to change the way you were thinking inside about yourself. Also, you started to change that that in, through working that program. It started to work through the program with that you the way you spoke to yourself maybe and the way like, Absolutely. the relationship you have with yourself yeah it's all these you know these these self proclamations and 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 really just i talk about fear a lot because sometimes i have to back up i i might have a have an experience with someone and and i might not really love the way i acted yeah and i'll have to go back and i'll have to say i just go straight to the fear what what was i afraid of there yeah um and 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 with a program like this, you have to clean up your side of the street before you go to bed at night. And, yeah. and that's, that can be dangerous to recovered alcoholics and, and addicts. If you yeah. were human, and I used to think in early recovery, I used to think I couldn't make mistakes and I couldn't have run-ins with people anymore because that was what made me sick. Yeah. Um, but we're human yeah. and, and we're, we interact with people every day and we're going to have run-ins. Yeah. And I just have to know that whatever what who even if it was someone else's fault and this is where the amends part comes in mm-hmm. even if you still feel like that part person really had a part you need to clean up your side of the street yeah. and it's amazing when you clean up your side of the street it's amazing what other people how people react yeah and people who you think will never speak to you again suddenly it it just melts away and and they're and then they apologize it's amazing yeah it's great Great it advice. Is. I mean, for anyone listening, like, I, there's been so many times in my life where, you know, even recently, after all the work I've done, but, but you know, Heather, you don't understand what happened. It's like, no, I do understand what happened. And it doesn't matter what anyone else did in the situation. It's how you reacted in the situation. Absolutely. How did you react in that situation? What could you have done better? Yes. That's all that matters. Do better. Yeah. And and, right. and 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 you learn, and that's such a learning experience. My first husband used to say all the time, we'd get into these wicked fights when we were, you know, when I was in my twenties and and you know, you're young and you're insecure and you're jealous. And and I thought, well, this is it. You know, I used to think very black and white. This is it. We're breaking up. This is awful. And then and then he, a boyfriend, he was my boyfriend at the time. My boyfriend would later the next day he'd say, well, you know, we learned a lot from that. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm shattered. Like, this this fight shattered me. Yeah, Aren't we cool. over? Yeah, black and white, done. And he was not. He was, he always saw the gray area. And he yeah. always, and he was so positive. And, and like you said, like the, we could still, you know, that, that soulmate thing. Yeah. He was so good for me. Yeah. Um, 
And he taught me, he had... But he still is, Heather. I mean, even through these conversations we're having, like we both keep looking at each other and he's teaching both of us. Like that's why I wanted to jump on the mics. Like, yes. You know, it's it's yeah. cool. Oh, you're right. You're it's right. It's all good. You're right. And, and this guy, he's amazing in the sense that he had, you know, I met him when I was 22 and he was 30. So he was eight years older. He is eight years older than me. And so he, but he had this, this sense of confidence that was, it was, it was unmistakable and it, it just, it radiated from him. And he taught me a lot with that. He didn't have a jealous bone in his body, Mm. um, which I, as a young person, you think, well, shouldn't he be a little bit jealous of me? Mm. And you know, no, that's, that's sick behavior. And, and I thought he was, he used to be so healthy and, and, and his, his mind and his thinking and, and he was very, um, very positive too. Like he'd always talk about perspective and, um, and, and how vast the world is and, and yeah. how little we are. Um, and he had a little sticky on his phone at work for the longest time saying even keel, just even keel. Mm. And, and he had a tough, he was on wall street. He had a tough business. Um, but he was, he always managed to, he, he wouldn't get, he, he was the most bulletproof person I'd ever met. He could take a bullet and never be angry at anyone or fearful. It was pretty amazing. And, and I did learn from that. And, um, and then I learned more, um, from my program that saved my life and, and saved my family's life because I'm today I can say my kids don't remember any of that. And I'm so grateful to the people who said, if you go away, they don't have to ever know about your addiction. They don't ever have to experience what you experienced as a child. You know, when you said, when you said about the green eggs and ham thing, like some sadness came through for a second, like you were kind of still there, but I was going to go back to that, Heather, and I was going to tell you, like, imagine, imagine, like, not having any other memory. Like, so you missed green eggs and ham, but look at everything <laughs> else you got. You know what I mean? I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. And it's, it's like, it seems okay, like three, silly. three months in relative, you talk about perspective to like <gasps> your entire life with them. And I know. like, and I commend you, like, you put the oxygen mask on, like something yes. guided you to say, if I don't do this, then I'm going to be no good to anybody and I won't be able exactly. to make it happen. And like you took three months and traded three months for a lifetime with your children and to, to raise them healthy <sighs> and to your point, not have to, it's amazing, right? The, the people we grow up saying that we hate or that we'll, we'll never be like, yeah. how like all of a sudden, although maybe not through alcohol, through painkillers or whatever, however it happened, but somehow it still happened and you were becoming that monster that you hated. Yes. 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 And, <laughs> and, and that was when I went to a therapist, I, I decided to go to a therapist that would, that would, you know, somehow get me to stop taking these painkillers. And he said to me, you know, I, he asked me what my behaviors were, what, how much medication I was taking. And he looked at me and he goes, Heather, you're addicted. You're an addict. And, 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 and this wave washed over me of suddenly I was my father. And just having a label like that, being told that, even though yeah. I knew in the back of my mind, yeah. it, was, it was awful because suddenly I was doing to my kids what my dad did to me, what, which I wouldn't, I mean, I was always careful about my careful, my 
alcohol consumption because I never wanted to be an alcohol. I would never have done that to my kids. Yeah. And, you know, I avoided the alcoholism very well, but, you know, this other thing snuck up and bit me on the ass. And I... Self-fulfilling prophecy, though, like... Yes, you're right. It happened. again. It's like it happened way one way or the other. Yeah. It's like you needed to go through it to understand it. Do you think it helped? Do you think by you going through that, it helped you forgive your father? Yes, absolutely. It's cathartic, right? Oh, yeah, because, you know, my dad, he's a, he was a sick person. He wasn't a bad person. He was sick. It's a disease. Yeah. And um, yeah, and and going through that and knowing how difficult, because I always wondered, he knew how hard it was on us. Why didn't he just stop? And it's not that easy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it was, there would be no addicts and alcoholics. Yeah. Um it, he tried many times. Yeah. And it w- during his amends to me, he said. Um, he, he said my amends was the toughest out of my brother, my mom and me, um, because I, they just listened and they just, my mom and my brother are a lot alike. They're not verbal at all. They're, they're like very, son. yeah, they're very, everything's right here in their chest. They, they don't express themselves at all. And I'm like my dad. Um, and so I kind of, I let him know how how it made me feel growing up, and instead of just letting him get away easy, <laughs> yeah. um, and but I felt like I I needed to, and he said, you know, it's interesting, Heather. I always felt like I was a better person when I drank. I was funnier. I was more confident, more entertaining, more interesting, and hearing that helped me too, because. He didn't view. He didn't realize the effect he was having on us. He didn't realize the monster that he became. Well, what you just said also just showed me like it shows you how he felt about him. He really felt about himself. Oh my gosh! Yes, he wasn't confident. No, and that and he didn't think you. You. He didn't think that you enjoyed the person he was so much that he was blind to it. Exactly, and I loved my dad so much. I still do, but but as a child. He was so amazing, and I loved hanging out with him when he didn't drink. And if he 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 could have known that then, how much I loved him and how much I hated the alcoholic, and he didn't, he didn't. And my husband and I went to visit him in Florida um, a few months ago, and my husband made the comment, "It's amazing your dad still talks about like he's still amazed that he he." He, he worked at Cornell University as, a, as an economist and he got his master's at Cornell and he still to this day says, there must have been some mistake on the application because there's no way that they could have accepted me. Um, and, and, you know, he's, he's always, it's, it's, it's always like self-depreciating. Yes, yes. And, and at 90 years old, oh, this is interesting. This last visit, yeah. he, um, my daughter adores him, my daughter who's 20, yeah. Um, and he paid for her tuition um, the first two years of school. He, he paid a, a good portion of her um, tuition at Lehigh. And um, she adores him. And he said something that really floored me this last visit. He said, um, I always worried about what Allison, she, he's like, I, I never really thought Allison liked me too much. And I was like, what? Dad, what? She loves you. She adores you. And he said, well, ever since 
this one episode, I, I've, I feel like she's been really sort of standoffish towards me. And I said, what happened? I'm thinking like last year or something. And he said, well, when she was three years old, she's 20 now, they, they were taking care of, I think my ex-husband and I had gone on a vacation and my mom and my dad were taking care of my children. Yeah. Um, and he came downstairs and she, Nick was a baby. Um, and Allison had his feet in her mouth. Okay. As, as a parent, that doesn't shock you, right? Yeah. <laughs> he thought it was disgusting and yelled at her and said, Allison, get his foot out of your mouth. And, um, she started crying and like ran to my mom and it was, was hysterical because he was angry with her and it scared her. And he, ever since then, he's been worried about what she thinks of him. And I said, dad, there's she, no way she, she remember? even remembers it. Yeah. I called her up at school. No, she was home. It was a summer. So I, 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 when I came home, I said, Allie, do you even remember this? And she goes, oh my God, No. And she says, I've never felt that. I've never been scared of Grumpy. We call him Grumpy. Mm. Um, I, that, I've, I've never felt that way. I've never been standoffish. And, yeah. and so this was all in his head. Amazing the stories that we create, right? Yes. It's amazing. Yep. There was it's a dangerous one, place. It really is. <laughs> there, was, um, there, was one, there was one thing that we touched on with regards to... Um, for anyone listening, you went into like the addict part of it, uh-huh. right? And and you mentioned like about my ex and how cool it is that that we're, but it wasn't always that way for for me either. You know, okay. I was the guy who always had to be right, and like I always did a lot of work. Um, it wasn't until I took a hundred percent accountability for my own actions and myself, and I I I was never in the twelve step program, but I've done a transformational work. I, I mean, I love that stuff, like self actualization and all the transformational work with the float tank and all that. Yeah. And there's um, there's programs that are similar. Um, just I guess they don't really include the actual substance abuse part of it. Right. If and, you will. And, and and that's so important that um, my so my husband John grew up in Nashville and fundamentalist Christian yeah. stuff, and he's we met at church. We met at um, Renaissance church in summit, which is a non-denominational sort of modern cool. Christian church. Is it similar to like the one over here in Morristown? Yes. Yes. Are they, um, are they affiliated? They're not affiliated. Are you talking about, is it liquid that you're talking about? Uh, no, no. There's, there's, there's another one on 202, but anyway. Oh yeah. So, but yes, they're kind of cropping up these yeah. new churches. And um, so anyway, he, he was so, as an aside, I'm just going to say that this morning he came up to me and said that his friend from Atlanta, who's a fundamentalist Christian, had a conversation with him on the phone and they, they, they spoke. And then this guy said to John, um, well, I'm praying for your daughter. Um, and John said, so just out of curiosity, I have three children and two stepchildren. Why are you praying for my daughter? And he said, well, because she's gay and because I know you're struggling with it. And he said, first, and and he got angry. Um, And he said, first of all, I'm not struggling with it. Um, And he he said, and and I don't appreciate you putting your values on me. And the guy was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to, that was not my intention and I didn't mean to hurt you. And John said, 
I'm not hurt. I'm angry. <laughs> and, um, and he said, I just, he, he said, I'm not struggling with it. And it just, it, and, and I just don't appreciate that, <laughs> that you are assuming that I'm struggling with it. And anyway, that's, that's how he grew up and very black and white Yeah. again. Um, what were we talking about where I went on that? Well, I, I was telling you <clears throat> about how it didn't always used to be that way for yes. myself. And I yes. started talking about the transformational work. Yes. And then I told you, but it was without the substance abuse. And yes. then you were giving me. Okay. Thank you. You want to tell me something about. It's hard getting old. Your brain just. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Watch yes, your thank language. you. Watch your language, Heather. <laughs> oh God, that's so so <laughs> negative. Oh my gosh. Here's some more tea. <laughs> thank you. So, um, so John, when when he was so supportive, when I didn't tell him that I was a recovered addict um, for a while when we were dating, and so it was probably like three months in, where maybe two months in, I told him. Yeah. And he stopped drinking. I said, you don't have to do that for me. I'm, I'm fine if you drink. Um, he stopped drinking and he started going to meetings and learning about the steps. And then he went through the steps himself. And he just So you don't drink at all? I don't drink at all, no. Um, he's, he does now. He, yeah. he drinks socially. But it was just very sweet that he decided that he... I mean, we'd been dating two months and he decided he's going to stop. And it was just really, really supportive of yeah. him. And... So he went through the steps and I saw a huge transformation in him. And it's, it's, you know, it's everybody has something and everybody can, can benefit from the steps. And he got this idea to bring it. He, he's been around the church his whole life and and whether it's the fundamentalist, um, what is it? Christ the King that he grew up. I, Mm. I don't even know what, I didn't grow up religious, so I don't know anything about religion. Yeah. I don't know what the the Holy Bible is. I was 10 years old, went to a hotel, opened up a, a drawer and asked my mom what the Holly Bible was. <laughs> I was 10. <laughs> That's pretty sad, right? So um, so he he got the idea. He wanted to bring it to to church because he saw so many people that were missing something. There were so many people that come to Renaissance Church that are looking for answers. Yeah. But they're not getting it from just sitting there for an hour on mm-hmm. Sunday. There's being so told, much more. Being told what to do based on someone else. You have to go inside. Yeah, there's so much more. There's so much more. And people think that if I just go to church and I just think this way, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get better. He was looking at my books. John and I were looking at our books over here uh-huh. when he was here floating that day yeah. the first time. And... uh Immediately went up to, I have this, uh, the story of Jesus from Paramahamsa Yogananda on the bookshelf. And, um, you know, I've, I, I grew up Catholic. Okay. I was raised Catholic. I was an altar boy, all that stuff. And I kind of like went, w- denounced it all, like went way far the other way because like I felt way too controlled by the whole thing. What, yeah. what age was that? Um, probably like teenager, like 15, 16, okay. getting into like college and stuff like that. Just. It was too much. Um, and then like I was attracted to Eastern philosophy and religion because I was so much different, right? Not really. You know? <laughs> right, but, but, right. Like, it just, it's just a different mask. Yes. And I started studying all these things and getting into it and through, through yoga. And then my family was like, yoga is like, you know, cultish, religious, this and that. Because at the time, um, 
they didn't want, they like wanted me to like just stay Catholic and that whole thing. Right. You know? Okay. Very similar. And, uh, one of my teachers at the time still is, her name's Dale. I talk about her a lot. She's one of my, uh, she's my Reiki master. She taught me like how to start doing Reiki and stuff like that. And she said, Gabriel, that's easy. She's like, but look at like basically that they're all the same mask. And what is the actual story of Jesus or like what, what is this here? And it, it, I started Googling and like researching the relationship between Eastern and Western religions from like a higher perspective without being too dogmatic because I didn't want to get locked into anything dogmatic. And, okay. and then like, when you look at that, my experience is like people would just go into, just like they do, you can go into the Catholic church and there's a priest up front and you know, they'll sing hymns and recite prayers back and you're just ingraining that into your system. You do the same thing over in Eastern, Eastern religions to where, you know, there's a sadhu or some type of guru at the, at the front and you're going to chant back, you know, the different chants that they have and whatever language it is. And you can do this all around the world. So it's all like from, if you look at it from like a higher perspective, it's all fundamentally like everyone's doing the same thing. They're right. just wearing a different color. Or like it's a different flavor. What restaurant are you going to go to? You're going to still get, you know, you're going to go eat. Yes. So John and I walked up and he went right to this book that I had when I, that I had got when I started to figure this out for myself. And basically it's Paramahamsa Yogananda, who is a yogi who wrote autobiography of a yogi. Okay. who has a, a self-realization fellowship that he started. He's since passed and um, teaches uh, Kriya Yoga, which is a type of like self-actualization through certain types of breath work and meditation, just his way of doing it. Okay. And he wrote an introduction and then two big volumes that compare the Old Testament and the New Testament from the Bible on Jesus and the similarity between Jesus and Krishna, which is one of the Hindu gods okay. from that religion. And the Bhagavad Gita is like, if you will, like their Bible, for lack of better analogy, okay. right? So you have like the Catholic Bible and this Bible. And John got it right away. Like we started talking about it. And basically the entire message, just to sum up like the whole book, is that the kingdom of God is within. That was like a really long-winded explanation <laughs> of telling you that. But that, I like that. that's the backstory behind it. But it's basically like the kingdom of God is within. And so he took what Krishna had to say, he took what Jesus had to say, he took what all these masters had to say throughout. Mm -hmm. And really, if you dissect what it is, is like, you know, talking about the third eye, a lot of, a lot of the things that they talk about relates, it's like coded back to our own body. Our body's the temple. Okay. And, you know, the kingdom of God is within you, like Christ's yeah. consciousness is within you. Right. So like looking for that from an external source, so doing what you did, like doing the work, tripping up, falling, getting back up, falling, getting back up, making these hard decisions, going like that's the work. That's that's cleaning your temple. That's keeping track of your house, and that's that's activating the Christ consciousness within yourself. Right. And right. Christ actually is a derivative of Krishna. True. Yes. No. That's yes. like that's actually like with like through the study of language. Uh huh. That it actually, there's a whole backstory on the Roman Empire and how they needed a god and this and that and how 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 is Jesus' original name was Isa, and then how they took Christ consciousness from Krishna. Like there's a whole like, you know whole thing with that. But 
Oh, you and John could talk for yeah, hours. Yeah, that's why I about said we'll have this. our own podcast. You, you, <laughs> you sound so much like him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and he can really get into. I mean, he knows he he taught he taught a Bible study class yeah, for I'm years. Fascinated to hear it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But what I wanted, to, what I wanted to, what I was saying, um, you started talking about the program and how John brought the program to the church. Well, he didn't yet, but well, that was well, something that he's that he been to wanting to so do. I had a very similar couple things. So my buddy who actually introduced me to transformational work Mm -hmm. prior to him doing that, um, he's a world famous photographer. Oh, you told me about him. Yeah. And so he and I, he's also in the program and 12 steps and another one of my, his best friend who I became very close with also, also in, in the program. So just through hanging out with him and because I loved him so much, I decided to go with him to the program because he was going to speak one night or something like that. I was like, cool. I'd love to hear you present. So I went there and I heard him present and all this and that. And like, he told his story. Yeah. He told his story and like, you know, he, they were, I don't know if you call it coaching or whatever you do when you, a sponsor, Sponsor, sponsorship, right? Yeah. So we're doing all that. I was just listening to my, to everyone speak. And I'm like, you know, that whole judge, not unless you be judged thing came into my head. And I was like, am I really that different than any of these people? Just because like, let me see if I have an addiction problem or I don't, or let me just see what it's like if I have the discipline to not do it. Make sense? Yes. So that was on new year's Eve and I went to a party and I told myself leaving there, I was in New York city. I said to myself, I said, I'm not going to drink or smoke or do anything for the whole year. Wow. I'm going to stay sober. Wow. And I went into a bar to wait for my buddy before we went to the party. And I'll never forget how I felt when I sat at the bar because they came up to you and they have the menus, like, you know, little ritzy, like tapas place, like, you know, hipster style, like $70 drinks type thing. <laughs> yeah. And they come up and they, you know, that's what their tips be. They want to make money on the drinks. Oh, of course. And as soon yeah. as I was like, oh, no, thank you. What do you have? I'm not going to drink. Do you have like a tea or something like that? They were like, dude's whole attitude changed. <laughs> Can you believe? I know. Do you experience this? Oh, yes, and all so, the time. And now I'm starting to walk in someone else's shoes and that whole parable came to me, right? And I'm like, wow, so this is what it's like. And then I went to see what it was like at social situations and I went to that party and I didn't participate in any drinking and I watched like the decline of people's spirits. And, and <laughs> Yes, and, isn't and that amazing? It is amazing. And what's, what's, what's wild is that like alcohol is actually called spirits. Right, I mean, they call it spirits for a reason. Right. There's some crazy cartoons I have of it, and it will physically alter or like alter your chemistry, and whether you want to call it like a spirit, and that was just their way of describing it. But I know if like right now, you know, I'll, I'll drink socially or something like that, and I like to like maybe sip on some mezcal. It's like a smoked tequila or something like yeah. that. But man, Heather, like after literally half a glass. I don't know if it's the sugar or whatever it is. I'm like, what? Like, it just, just doesn't feel <laughs> it's like, it's not the best version of me. I know that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That's like, what John found out too. It's just like, whatever. I'm good with it. I'm good without it. It's like, yep, it's yep. not some people because, you know, chemically or whatever, they're, they're good just without it because they won't stop. Yes. And I have tremendous respect for that. Yes. But uh, I went that full year. And to see you what, did. Yeah. You did a full year. I did the full year. That's I, I, amazing. I did a full year. I did a full year plus, and um, 
Wow. I've done stuff like that a lot in my life. I was a vegetarian for seven, eight years. Wow. Absolutely no meat. Um, and I've done these things just to a, see if I had the discipline and to also see, say how I felt, you know, and now, yeah. now I, I don't go off of it based upon an ideology. I go off of it based upon like how my body feels and also like with how my body feels along with an impact on others and the planet and everybody else, you know? Yes. So it's also with, I don't forget that side of it. It's not just all about me. Like I'm a vegetarian because it's good for my diet, you know, or I'm, I'm eat meat now. Yeah. It makes me feel better, but like, where's its source? So that's like, I, I agree that there's a conversation to be had. There's a balance to everything, you know? Yes, but absolutely. With regards to um, what I was telling you about where I had my, my way of like having to be right and all that. Yes. I just want for anyone that's listening, there's this, um, there's this program. So my, my ex and I initially, we didn't have the story that you and your ex had. We were like gasoline fire. It was very tumultuous, but I didn't have, I didn't have, I, I didn't know how to like see it any other way. I didn't know how I could be any other way. There's a better way for me to be. And, um, we don't, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? You don't know what you don't know. No. Like yeah. as Dr. Seuss as that sounds, you can't, you can't change what you don't know. And, uh, that goes back to taking responsibility for your responsibility, your ability to respond. So like constantly looking for new ways to shift that filter, you know? And, yes. and so some people do it through spirituality. Some people do it through, you know, mind altering substances. Um, John and I had that conversation also because, a lot of that too is like he wrote me back about the float tank being the real deal because sometimes drugs, uh, Peter Mount Shasta, he has a bunch of books out there. He's a good friend of mine. I have his books on the, uh, on the shelf and he likened psychedelics to window shopping. And he said that he was like, you can see it. You can maybe even try it on, but you, you don't, you don't you can't hold once it's done, it's done. It may shift your perspective, but he said, but through doing it naturally and through meditation and through getting, going and get Christ consciousness, uh, um, reaching Samadhi, if you will, um, whatever you want to call an enlightened state mm-hmm. and doing that with yourself and figuring out with breath work and meditation and that it's a, yes, you, you can have the same experience, but it's yours. Interesting because like John's kind of been thinking that, that the psychedelics would bring him to such a different heightened to the ultimate heightened yeah. state. But you're saying the it may, it, it may, no, it may, it may. And, um, it, but what, how Peter likens it to is like window shopping. Like it can bring you to that spot. Okay. But then what happens when the psychedelics wear off? Right, right, right. Because you, you you're, it's not a practice. You're right. not, you're not continuing it in your lifestyle. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully you're so not doing it you, every day. What's the path to get there without that? So like, I right. yeah, can give you a glimpse of perspective to work towards, to achieve also, or, yeah. or to maybe like calibrate your resonance. Like we we're talking about earlier too. Like, Oh, that's, that's where my comp, that's, there's North. Cool. I'm going to work like to get to there. So I mean, balance, like in anything else, balance. But um, back to Danny and I, Heather, I keep digressing. The reason I keep bringing that back up is for anyone listening, there's a program called Children in Between. And so Danny and I were in court, uh, like, you know, fighting for custody and like it was yeah. nasty. Ugh, and um, and the judge was just basically like, I'll just sum up the story right now. 
And if I, like from my perspective right now, it's just basically like you two shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> like enough. <laughs> just be quiet. Like this, he probably like wanted to hold his ears. He couldn't take it anymore. You know, it's just noise because we're just, but, 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 I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. And this yeah. is why, and this is why, and this is why I'm right. And, and you couldn't hear anything else. Couldn't hear was, anything you else two in it, yeah. yeah. So he said, here's what we're going to do, guys. You're going to go online and there's this program called Children in Between. And you're going to take this, this course. And I don't want to hear another word. I don't want to see you guys back here in this courtroom. And if I do, I'm going to find you each individually. Or like some, he's had some way of like laying it on us, right? <laughs> and he was like, um, I don't know if it was a fine, but it was something to where like we weren't going back in there until we had passed this course with like a certain average and gave him oh. the certificate of completion with this certain grade on it. So he knew that we spent the time on it. In other words, like the website makes you like watch the video. You can't fast forward. And then you have to answer questions on it. You have to pass like a quiz. And like there's this whole thing to it. So you cool. can't you can't like cheat and be like, yeah, here you go, dude. I watched it, you know? Watching that was so eye-opening to me because it showed like how parents, without even knowing it, bait their children in between. And they use children as like a little spy and try to get information out. And just like, and you, you throw your shitty programs on this little kid that's like, you know, this blank slate in this sponge. And here you are with like your insecurities and your ego, or here I was, I should say, with my insecurities and my ego and like what I was doing. And like, I was potentially going to put my son in this position. And that changed yes. everything for me. Doesn't it? Doesn't and when it? I it's- saw it, when I saw these videos, I was like, that dude's horrible. <laughs> what? <laughs> And how is that woman doing that? Well, you can't do that to a kid. I would never do. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Maybe I am. Maybe I would. Maybe I'm not so perfect. Right. Yeah. And then after seeing that, man, that, that, that change, I knew that something needed to be done. And my buddy, my buddy who was in the program, who, you know, I was very, I just had a lot of admiration for him as an artist and as a person and going through the program. And we're always looking for the next level in creativity, you know, imposter syndrome. And like, it's a whole nother thing that I deal with and all that. And he called me up. I was like, dude, I got this, I got this program. I got this work. You've got to try. I'm like, no problem. Where do I sign up? And I went to this and I jumped headfirst in to this, this transformational work. And it's the greatest thing. First of all, it's one of the greatest times I've ever had in my life. Really? Yeah. It's the best. And second of all, like it changed my wiring and my thinking and my perspective i called immediately i got Brittany into it with my wife um oh i want to do it yeah i'll tell you all about it i'd okay. love to um and then uh i try to get my anyone that's like close to me that's inv- that's instrumental uh-huh. in the development and like see i just got i got chills when you said that just like made me just feel so good inside because we talk about all these things we're going to do together you know yeah and and here it is like uh you're like yeah i want to do it because it just changes the consciousness. It changes the red, like uh, Kevin, who's the black belt, Kevin Sheridan, uh-huh. this guy here, Sheridan Jiu-Jitsu yes. for the Jiu-Jitsu program. When I, he, we, we, un, he understands me and he gets my language, the, the get to, the, the be, do, have, like all the, the, the thinking behind it, Heather. And he did, he's done the work 20, 20 years or 15 years prior to Brittany and I. And like, oh. you know, I want Donna to go. Like, it's just, it's just this amazing way of thinking and, and viewing the world and taking a hundred percent responsibility and accountability for everything that it's, it's a step towards self mastery through going within. And All right. John and I are signed up. Yeah. <laughs> we it, need to go. It's, an, it's, it's, it's amazing. Okay. So great. It sounds so awesome. 
Clay got me into that. My buddy got me into that. Okay. And um, the photographer, right? Yeah. Yes. I'm forever thankful for him for doing that. Call him, you know, he was like, for him, him introducing me to that, that that has a lot to do with why Summist exists now because, yeah, because transformation is like, if we had a reporter in here from another magazine one time, Heather, and they were, or a writer rather, and she asked like, how do you want people to feel when they leave here? And transformed and not necessarily because of here but just because they have the space like we're doing right now just to have an experience yeah and then while i was setting up this morning and i was driving around and get everything ready for us i was thinking to myself like as an artist what what, what do i want to do in life like what do i want to do in life like and i was like i want to capture the moment as a photographer as a music producer as a composer or even right now sitting with you we're capturing a moment and we're taking a snapshot of something that we can share and we can always look back on and that will live forever for people to learn from, from just given the best version ourselves of what we have right now. Like here it is, you know, and for, and and for me, like how, how courageous you are, like that's why when we started, when we were just talking and, uh, and you started telling your story and we started to share. It's like, Heather, are you open for us to get in a podcast to do this? Because <laughs> so many people think that they're the only ones that are feeling that way. I number know. one. Oh, that was me. Oh my gosh. Right. And Ugh. if you're on painkillers right now, like I didn't even know that story about Heather yet. She has, there's so much more to this story that she hasn't even tapped in on yet. But like, if you think that there's no way out or that you're going to be judged, I mean, this is vulnerability, a broken open heart. That's what this transformational work taught me. That's what like, if it, that's was one of the main messages that, that um, Judith Rich is another one, a transformational coach and dear friend of mine. She's coached me and her main thing was a broken open heart. If I was like a takeaway, you know, exploding the box and a broken open heart. Another thing I like to say is eyes wide open. Yeah. Once you've exposed that, you've, you've exposed that vulnerability and, and just all the inside, you're free and, 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 and you can't, you cannot, and talking about the transformation, you cannot go forward in your life with your eyes shut anymore because you'll have an experience with someone, something, and, and you'll see how you reacted or didn't react or you can't. Now, after going through these processes, you can't now just ignore it. Mm-hmm. You you'll leave and you'll go, gosh, I acted like an ass. Yeah. And and it, it's gonna have a profound effect on you. Yeah. Whereas before you could go through life being an ass and it, and you know, it did affect you, but it, it, it you didn't feel it like you do now with and your you, eyes wide you open. Have, and you have your whole system of support to support your bullshit. Exactly. That you put into place. Hence why addicts and so many people move so much and want to start new relationships. And how, like how many people that are listening to this or when I was a kid and maybe you have too, Heather, before you realized that like it was you, that you would make phone calls to tell your bullshit story to, till someone, (laughs) till someone sided with you. And then that was your ally. And the rest of the people there were crazy. Unless unless they sided with you on the next story and the other person didn't. And then, right. So you pick and choose your support and you pick and choose who you're going to listen to based on convenience of what's going to make you right at that time. 
Exactly. And you know what? My first husband saw right through my bullshit. And 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 he's he's a big reason why I am sober because he didn't let me get away with he was not codependent, let's say. Right. He did not he, he did not allow it. And and but there were people that I could rely on to believe my bullshit. Yeah. And um and and so you had a time and a place for them when you wanted to get serious you go to the people who 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 don't subscribe to it right. and but you're absolutely right it's um and and that's called codependency too the people that can keep you ill mm-hmm. are are the codependent people to you mm-hmm. um and and they don't necessarily need you to get better or want you to get better they'll keep subscribing to your bullshit and and when you talk about sponsorship that was very eye-opening to me as well when I started sponsoring people. Because um, it's like, oh, don't push them too hard. Oh, don't make anyone upset. Oh, why are you on? You don't stress people out. It's like, dude, if they're uncomfortable, that's good because it means they're stretching outside of their com- their comfort zone. It's yes. not going to, It's that's why it's called a stretch. That's why it's called a comfort zone because it's right. making you squirm and get uncomfortable. And if you want to play the, oh, I'm so stressed out and all that bullshit game, like it's not going to work on me. Well, and that was where I was in the beginning. I was, I was, well, I was still codependent. You know, the codependency work came later. I went to Al-Anon and and worked on that, but I was codependent to my first sponsees where I had one living with me and then she was relapsing in my home with my small children. And that's where it can get squirrely, right? Because like, then you're, it's like, then you're getting sicker because this person is in your life. And it's like the steps within the steps, like no program is perfect. Take everything with a grain of salt, you know, but, but like there's fundamental things that you can take out of it and really apply it to well, really apply to your life rather. And you can see as the years go by and you get healthier, how that, how that transforms like your relationships with your sponsees and and how you may have created that with your relationship with your sponsee. Yes. Yeah. And you know, for Same this, with whatever, yeah. yes, exactly. And with, with this one particular woman, um, I was having a hard time telling her she had to leave. And one of my, um, uh, a, he wasn't my sponsor, but he was someone I looked up to. He said, Heather, you've got to get her out of your house right now. And he said, do you want me to help you? And I said, yes, please. And, I drove her to um, a rehab in Summit. He met me so that she couldn't talk me out of it because she had this way mm. of ending up at my house and you know and sleeping there for three months and and so and it wasn't good for me. It wasn't good for my children. Yeah. So you know, slowly now this kind of sponsor I am. If you want to get sober, then start reading the Big Book, which is you know, Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and start writing. So I take them through the steps immediately. There's some sponsors, like you're saying, you know, just all you can do right now is just stop drinking. We'll do the steps later. Well, you know what I found for me is that I couldn't just stop. I needed, I needed to go through that transformation because yeah. I was the the pills were helping me escape from all of that pain. And so in order to get out of that pain, I had to go through more pain to uncover it. But I had to. I had to do the action part. You can sit around and talk about it for years, and there's many people in the program who are who have 20 years of sobriety and are still extremely sick and making other people sick yeah. because they're just saying, you know what? Don't drink and go to meetings. And for me, meetings are not the cure. 
I don't really, I'm not really a, a meeting believer. I believe in the steps. And if you're not going to do the steps and you're not going to, you're not going to recover, you, you might be able to white knuckle it mm-hmm. for five, 10, 20 years, but you're the same nasty person you always were. Mm-hmm. So to me, now if someone says, you know, I want to get sober, I start them on the steps immediately. You start seeing a transformation. If they come back to me and say, well, there's a reason why I'm, you know, I only did this much work and I'll have it to you next month. You know, I'll say, well, you know, you can, you can continue to call me and tell me your problems, but I'm not going to have an answer for you. I'm, I'm just human. I can tell you from my experience, but I don't have an answer for you when you tell me that, you know, people, everyone's an asshole or sorry, I shouldn't swear on this podcast. Um, (laughs) Everyone's a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and you know, the world is out to get me. Well, you need to look at yourself, but you're not going to be able to see that until you go through these steps. And so it's very black and white to me where I don't, I'm not the person who can, some sponsors say, do exactly what I say. You go to three meetings a day. You meet me, you call me every day. You do this, you do that. I I don't know what's good for you. I don't know. I don't know what you should be eating. I don't know when you should be sleeping. I'm not that kind of a coach. I can take you through the steps and I can show you how transformative it can be. But, but besides that, I'm no one to tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's really hard for a lot of people to grasp unless they've gone through the steps themselves. Back to the church, like John was saying. Yes. Because here's, here's exactly what to do. Yes. Here's what to think. Here's what to do. Here's when to do it. Here's what day you show up. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah, and if you're going to meetings and just hearing a bunch of drunks sit around and tell war stories, mm. it's not helpful. Mm-hmm. You're not going to cure. You're not going to get cured. Yeah, do both. You or, have to do both. Well, in the beginning, meetings are important because you get the support that you need, and you realize because, like you said, um, in the beginning, you think you're the only one going through this. I I was convinced I was the only young mom in Short Hills, New Jersey that had ever gone through anything like this. And I was so ashamed. Um, And I was talking about that, ironically, with my daughter last night. Um, She had asked me a question about um, sobriety. And we we recalled when, um, when I first told her about my disease. And I had, I had um, another mentor who was an older man in the program. And he, when I was new, he had a, maybe a 20 year old daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked him, he had a really good program and great sobriety. And, and, and he, I said, how did you know when it was right to tell your daughter or, or did your daughter know? Because his, his daughter was the same age as mine when he got sober. So very young. Um, and he said, she asked me one day in the car, she was about 15. And he said, you'll know when the time is right. Hmm. And so it was, she was 13. She was in eighth grade. She had just come home from a, a party and we were sitting in my bed watching TV together. And she asked me, mom, why do you go to those meetings if you're not an alcoholic? Because we'd had conversations over the years about what an alcoholic was. Like they had an assignment from school where they had to come home and ask their parents, um, they had their parents had to ask them, you know, tell me what an alcoholic is. My children's answer to what an alcoholic was is someone who doesn't drink. Mm. 
That was the hugest gift to me. I think they were probably five and eight when that assignment came around. They both had it. Um, it was like alcohol awareness week, red ribbon week and, um, or month. And, and so as a, as, at that age, I would have told you it was someone who's extremely erratic, unpredictable, angry, mean, um, drinks too much. And their answer was, it's someone who doesn't drink. <laughs> yeah. What a gift, right. you know, you know, back to what we're talking about, because I had someone tell me that if I went away now, that I had to go away now, that my kids won't remember it. And, and I can give this gift to my children of being sober for the rest of my lives, of my, of my life. Um, and no, and their lives also. In and, and, and their lives, exactly. Yeah. And the fact that I could not, um, you know, I, I, at the, at the time you think three months is a lifetime because, well, my son was, you know, a year and a half or whatever. That was a good portion of his lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I look back now, like you were saying, it was nothing, it was nothing. And thank God, because they don't have any memory of it. Mm-hmm. And, and so anyway, when my daughter and I were speaking, um, I told her, I I pulled out, I had in my bedside table um, a a notebook that I had written in when I was in rehab because a therapist, because I cried myself to sleep every night because I missed my kids so much. And a therapist told me to write down how sad I was and and that maybe someday I could read it back to my children. So I pulled it out and I read her an excerpt that said, I'm missing you so much. It's so unnatural for a mother to be separated from her children at, at, at your age. Um, and, and I told my daughter, I said, you know, I've, I've not told you until now what exactly my problem was and why I had to go away, um, because I was ashamed and I didn't want you to think any lesser of me. And I was crying when I said this, I was crying as I read the, Mm. the notebook because (laughs) God, that brought me back. Um, and she started crying Mm. and she said, mom, I would never be. I would never be ashamed of you. And um, so we were recalling that last night and she said, have you ever told Nick? And I said, no, I've never told him. I said, I just haven't found the right time. And I said, maybe for him, it's going to be when he's 30 or, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe she'll tell him. Maybe she'll tell him because she said, I don't know what he thinks or knows. Yeah. Maybe Nick doesn't care. Maybe he doesn't care. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Nick just loves his mom. He really just doesn't care. Maybe right? he hasn't noticed. He's just not going to judge you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So if I get, I just want to make sure I had that right. So you had when you when your sponsor at the time said you'll know when the right time is when to tell your daughter. Yes. And then you, but you had you had journaled that you had written out what you would have told her previously. And then when she asked you, you read it to her? No, I had written on recommendation of my therapist in rehab. I had just written down my feelings about being separated from my children. Oh. She just wanted me to journal because I was like, I'm so sad and I don't know what to do with this. Like my heart is ripping in two. And she said, write it down. For those three months. So you journaled while you were away when they <laughs> yes, were little. When they were little. Then when Allie was 15 and you were driving, she asked you. Yes, and I I read her the you, journal. You read her the journal. Yes. Did you? And so so I. How did you feel with that perspective of five? So this is only five years ago. Allie's twenty now. You said, yes. Yeah? Yes. So five years ago, the perspective of how long ago, like, did you have empathy for yourself? Were you like, oh, who is this person I'm reading right now? Like, did the feelings come right back? Like, what what, what was that like for you? 
Wow. It was um good question. It was I have to say that it was I was proud of myself. Yeah. Um because here I was, I dreamed about, you know, as I was journaling, I dreamed about the day that I'd be back with him and I'd be a healthy mom. And when everyone was telling me, this is so worth it, Heather, this is so worth it. This is a gift you're giving your children. And if you can't do this for yourself, do it for your children. And and, and I kept thinking about, am I ever going to get there? Mm. It seemed so far away. And so, yeah, when I got there and looking back, I just thought, gosh, I did it. I did it. And everyone was right. And, um, and it, God, it brought me back to how sad I was um, and how hard it was to be separated from my children. Um, because, you know, when, when you're leaving, they're grabbing onto your leg and saying, mommy, don't leave. Mm. And I was, I was telling my daughter, <laughs> we were driving home from an errand and I got into the whole episode of when they came to visit me, I spent one month um, at Father Martin's Ashley in Maryland. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I spent two months at the Life Healing Center, which is in um, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. So I only saw them one time and that was towards the end of that month. And then I I went two months without seeing them. So they came and visited for about an hour and a half. And, um, you know, that's very hard for children at that yeah. age. They had gone almost three weeks without seeing me. And, um, here's an hour. See you later. Here's an hour. Yeah. And so then they got in the car and my husband at the time was driving. They were in their car seats and, you know, my mommy's place was in the passenger seat up front and Nick, who was maybe two at this point, I don't know, a year and a half to two in between, you know, he, he pointed to the front seat and he said, mommy sit. And, um, and I said, and I was leaning in the window and I said, no, honey, mommy's going to stay here. I'm not coming with you. And then his little face scrunched up and I'm telling this to my daughter as I'm driving and I'm, I'm, I started bawling telling her the story because it's still so, it's like, I'll never forget that. And then he just started screaming, mommy, sit, mommy, sit as they're driving away. And I just, I'm, I, I almost fell to my knees I turned around, there were six women behind me. They had gathered. I guess my therapist had said, you need to go Support be with her. Heather. And thank God, because I was like, I literally would have fallen down because I was in so much emotional pain. Yeah. And they happened to all be mothers. And, you know, if if nothing else, I mean, rehab wasn't a cure for me. But when I got there, the shame started to fall away. Um, it it, it opened me up to seeing there are other women in my position, other young moms who are exactly in my position, who had these secrets and we can tell each other and, and we, and we don't have to be ashamed anymore. We don't have to hide anymore. And that was, that in, in itself is, is, is the first part of healing, I think. So, and let's loop that all the way back to your own mother when you're talking about how like she would have to listen because it's all stuck on her her emotions, what she went through and how that's causing her physical pain now. Yes. Listening to that, that made me think of the beginning when you're talking about that. And for anyone listening, Heather, like when you listen to the story of your son and he's two years old and you hear a baby and a mother and the mother's getting ripped from the baby and the baby's screaming, mommy sit. It's like this like heart wrenching thing, right? Mm-hmm. 
open anyone's heart up. And uh, it's okay to have that empathy because, oh, it's a child. I'm going to have an Oh, God, that poor, that poor baby. It's going to make you hurt. And then maybe for some, too, to have it for the mother who's in pain, hence the other women who came out to support you. And right, so you have this family going through this thing, and it's, it's heart wrenching. Why then, if we can listen and, and liken ourselves or, 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 or it have a sense of some type of emotion come up and if you say, here you say, I was in such emotional pain, I was going to collapse. I wouldn't have been able to stand. Meaning that something was happened to your body that hurt you so much that it was knocking you to the floor. Like if someone punched you in the stomach. Yeah, taking the wind right out. Or just, or it's, you know, sweep kicked you and knocked you down on the floor, right? Throwing you down. And this goes back to like the whole mental illness thing, or this goes back to like the power of emotions. This goes back to like, why do we sweep these things under the carpet and act like it's not really going to cause us physical pain? We're going around them instead of through them. And so what you really said was for the first time you accepted that, like your emotions were really causing you pain, like to sum it up. So for like anyone listening, like you hold this stuff inside, like it will change your DNA. Oh, yes. It will change. It will put humps on your back. It will lock up your shoulders. It will give you ulcers. It will whatever, but it it will show up in, in so many ways. And, 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 you know, speaking to fibromyalgia and, and, and what my mom's going through, Mm -hmm. it's very real pain. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I would never say that it wasn't. And my mom actually saw a great doctor at the hospital for special surgery in New York a number of years ago who suggested that it might be in her mind. She got very angry um, and offended. And, you know, I've read, I've read up on this and there's a, a doctor in New York, the back, he, he's, he wrote a book about the back, the, the pain connection, um, Dr. Sarno. Um, and I've been pushing her to see him for years, but mm-hmm. she won't. Um, and, and he says it's a very real thing where the pain, your emotional pain is causing um, something in your nerves to, to feel this very real pain. So it, nobody is saying that the pain isn't, the physical pain isn't real. isn't real. It's very real. Some people are crippled by it. Absolutely. And he's, how dare, he's brought people how, back how, from how that. How dare he say that to her, right? He's a kook. Right. Yes. Right. In her mind, this is like, how dare you? Yes, this is real. This is right. real pain. How can you say it's in my mm. mind? We're not saying that Don't it's take not me real. Back to that doctor. This isn't that right. Like, yes. Yeah. And I, it's just because she needs to open up. If yeah. she could open up and let the floodgates in, boy, those floodgates yeah. would be. And so this is tough. like you know where someone can make the argument to hallucinogenics, psychedelics. Right. What if right. you put your mom on like some type of trip? Yeah. <laughs> See ya. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hold on, Nana. <laughs> let, you want let, let her purge. Yeah. Some ayahuasca or something. I don't know. Like, yeah. There, is there is there a medicinal effect to all just to give you that glimpse once your body's just so locked into a certain way of thinking? She's literally calcified her belief system to the yes. point to where she can't even wrap her head around the fact that a doctor uh, a doctor, like the pain that she's received, that she's in, in endured emotionally, that a doctor would say that that could be attributed to her physical pain, that that's even a possibility that those two worlds could be connected. Yes. So she's limited her thinking 
outside any realms of other possibility than what she believes. Even though there's these case studies that are exactly the same as her mm-hmm. with repressed rage. Mm-hmm. It talks about repressed rage. Mm-hmm. And these people, I even dated a guy who had gone to Sar- Dr. Sarno. He couldn't get in and out of a car. When I dated him, he was absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. And, and he talked to her on the phone and told her, recommended that she go. Mm-hmm. No, it, no, it wasn't a possibility. And, and seeing my mom this way, she was always such a young, active mom, um, like young in attitude. And then suddenly when my daughter was born, she started having this pain. And so the last 20 years, seeing her completely just... So that's an interesting connection too, right? Because you talk about, we talked about like becoming that monster that we don't want to become based on how we were raised. Yes. So like maybe that your daughter being born triggered something her from you being born and like not wanting to repeat the cycle of all the stuff that she had repressed inside herself. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's just like yeah. uh, all of a sudden now she's like stuffed that down really deep and like, oh my mm. God, how are we going to get through this one? Well, how do I not let history repeat itself? How do I protect this baby? Protect this baby. That's, that's interesting. She also retired that, that same year. Yeah. So, I, you know, both of those big milestones mm. could have contributed to it. And when people ask her, is there anything, because she's been given strong painkillers and she's gone to acupuncture, she's tried everything. People say, is there anything that relieves the pain? And she'll say, I want to have a glass of wine. Hmm. So there you go. It alters her state and starts to maybe start to open up just a touch. Exactly. So, you know, Mm -hmm. but. So we got, we went off on that because I started talking about a broken open heart. Yes. And I just wanted again to like recognize your courage and commend you. Thank you. Like you're welcome. Like on how solid you are. And that's why I was really excited to record this with you because this is like, you just hold such a great space. You got really great energy, clean energy. You're like very empathetic and, and warm, but with like, you, like without like taking up like other people's space. It's just like, you, it's, it's a Thank good, Thank you. A that's good, such a nice compliment. You're welcome. It's a good vibe, Heather. But like for anyone else that's listening or that feels like they're going through anything like this, like listen to what Heather's saying. And like what I'm saying, it's like, here we are. Heather's Heather's like, I would call you an influencer. Would you call yourself an influencer? Right? I, yeah. 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 Small. The scout small guide. <laughs> no, well, I mean, we, like, and let's not play small because we're working to get these things bigger, right? Yes, so, we are. All right. So I'm going to call you an influencer. We're, we're good with that. Okay. We'll, yep. That's, we'll, we'll that's be great. Deserving Thank that, you. I'm deserving that of that. <laughs> Me too. All right. So here we are, influencers, uh-huh. building our businesses, mm-hmm. building our following. You have the scout guide. Yes. Which is a, a, we'll get into that whole thing. But basically Heather's exposed. You own a company and you, you have this, this, let's call it an editorial for simplification right now that you put out. A publication. Right? Yes. A publication, if you will. Yes. It supports right. small businesses. It supports small businesses. But it's just, let's say not before we even get into it, it's a publication and you have all these small business owners or people that get published in it. You live in short Hills. Mm-hmm. You have children. And you're kind of like in the spotlight by going around and, and let's face it, audio, video, publications, writing. It's like kind of like the end stop of newspapers of like getting information out, right? That's how we, right. other than, than let's say talking or, or word of mouth, right. right? Positive, negative, whatever. It's just like, it's press. Yes. Media. Yes. Media. Yeah. Yes. And here you are 
almost at the top of like in that food chain at that that level of the food chain at the getting information out having a business living in the short hills blonde hair blue eyes looks all great right <laughs> and Thanks. and saying no this is how it really is and it's okay and for me through that vulnerability comes that comes that power for me through like your courage your vulnerability to say hey man dude this is how it is I like, and it's okay. You're free. And because you're free, you're powerful. And through that power, you're able to help other people and you're not controlled by anybody because of it. You have you have nothing to hide from it. Right. Right. Which is such an amazing place to be. Oh, it is. It is because I, I was, I was so not that way. Not that long ago. Like, so for people listening, like what's that? Isn't that like, what a beautiful thing to feel. It's like the, the Japanese art that they crack and then they put the gold in it and the more gold, the more cracks on it, the more beautiful it is. It's how I liken like myself too. And just keep putting cracks on it. Just fill more <laughs> gold. It's like another mistake. But you know what I mean, Heather? Yeah, so it's just like, uh, I, I want, I want, th- this was the why behind it. So behind recording this. So just like quick summary, childhood, alcoholic father, programming, substance abuse early on with the new children, then you come home from that, you think that you're going to get it together with that. And then the love of your life and your soulmate, who you're on top of the world with country clubs, this and that stock market, like quintessential, like perfect life. Boom. Yes. Everything's gone. Yeah. That rock in my life. Yeah. That rock in my life. From an emotional standpoint, as a codependent, as from codependent standpoint of like, you're not knowing who your mortgage person was and, and, and probably like a plethora of other things, just being like the housewife and doing your thing. Mm-hmm. And then him just being like, like you said, fifties father mm-hmm. and him doing his or fifties, um, yeah, father or husband. husband right. And, and like not with any malintent, but just, no, it wasn't, it wasn't there. So how, then you had to learn all these new skills yes, to then move forward with that. Yes. Right. So that forced you into this growth while you're dealing with the emotional state of losing your significant other to mental illness, having to raise children and then kind of like no money. Right. And and I'll tell you. And lost all. And so like, and so now not only were you vulnerable and not only did you have that perceived thing that you were going through with having everything out in the open with substance abuse, but now this quote unquote status came crashing down. Very quickly. It's amazing how quickly that can pick us up from there. Crash. Yeah. 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 So in the hardest part, you know, that when you're, I've I've never worried about money in my life. My, I grew up comfortably and, um, you know, had a job right out of college and, you know, was, was in my twenties, you know, poor in New York, but never poor enough that I couldn't pay my rent or eat well and have a good time. Um, met my husband when I was 22 and married someone older and set. And, and, and so really never worried about anything financially related until suddenly it wasn't there. And it's, it, it's, I can't tell you the stress that 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 puts on you, but the other stress that I was suddenly faced with, my rock was gone Mm. My rock, who I depended on so much for, 
you know, for those, I guess, 11 years plus, um, I was suddenly parenting alone. And not only parenting alone, but trying to... um, So the sick person who relied on the rock to be the rock for my children, for my family, for me... And your illnesses. And my illnesses he was suddenly not there anymore. And not only was he not there, but I had to try to counteract what he was doing. Yeah. Um, And so, have you ever heard that term, fake it till you make it? Of course. (laughs) Okay. So, you know, that was, that's a program term. And, and, and it was, and it was me where I felt, I didn't feel confident enough that I could be that head of the household, but I just faked it. And, and, I remember I remember during all this, I wondered how I was appearing to my children. Because mm-hmm. um, my mom, I, something that I always really questioned was how cheerful my mom could be all the time when my dad would just, you know, cut her off at the knees with some, you know, nasty comment when he was drinking. And, um, and I realized that I had learned from the best when my daughter said to me one day, this was after, after, um, you stop taking painkillers during that process, your body believes that it's getting enough endorphins from the synthetic uh, pills. Um, So it stops making endorphins. Mm -hmm. And so it can take up to a year for um, your brain to start making those, those happy, um, um, happy hormones again, endorphins. So I was severely depressed for a good year. Um, and so I had a lot of kids like that, um, did a lot of ecstasy when I was growing up around me and they would like, they had that problem because it was just like produced so much yes. when you're up and then the crash is just ridiculous. Yeah. Luckily, and ecstasy can really yeah. rob, rob you for a while. Right. Yeah. I mean, I never got, honestly, that's something I never really messed with, but good, the people good. around me, like, yeah, I saw them get robbed of that. It's It's just awful. I can't even tell you. And there's nothing that luckily I never got in got into that good good yes i've but i can I, i've not ever done i'll tell you what i like did that. feel though is when i was doing the painkillers in my experience with cancer and they oh. would give me that type of stuff like that yeah. stuff did not make me feel good and that would make me really You're lucky de- make me really depressed would it yeah a lot of people say that about painkillers that makes them feel groggy or stomach upset horrible. or horrible for me horrible it made me Super mom. I could get anything done. It made me chipper and um, just energetic. Yeah. <laughs> until it didn't, right. you know, until it became my worst enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, talking about the, um, the effect on the brain. So it took me a good year to really come back from the depression. And I remember just being so worried about how I was coming across to my children. I hope that I wasn't sad in front of them. And one day my, my daughter said to me, mom, how come you're so happy all the time? And I remember just thinking, I should, I deserve an Oscar because this is not the way I feel. And then I realized, well, I learned from the best. This was my mom. My mom couldn't have been that happy all the time Mm -hmm. living, you know, being such a codependent to this alcoholic for so many years and not being able to express anything because Let's face it, those days were different too. You didn't just start talking. You didn't go on a podcast and start talking about your problems. Mm-hmm. You hid them. Yeah. <laughs> Especially a Southern woman. But look at the price she's paying for it. She's paying a huge price for it. And and I can't tell you, like, it, just talk, talk about, talk about, it, it doesn't have to be 
with it can be privately. It doesn't doesn't matter who you talk to, a therapist. And you know what, Heather, what like gets me about the whole thing too is like all, a, a lot of these, a lot of the the women and men also, but like just because we're talking about your mom, we're going to give that, that example. They like care so much about the beauty and how they look and the Botox and the hair getting done and this and then that, right? And it's just yes. like, have you done any, just like, have you, have you done any work emotionally? Like, like into like the, the triathlon or the triathlete with, with mobility work or, or the marathon runner with mobility work we're talking about. And like, are you bankrupting your system? Like, okay. Yeah. And then the second you tell that that person that they look beautiful or that like, oh no, oh no, not me. And it's, it's like, so like, <laughs> what do you do it all for? What do you, You're like, so right. Or, what, it's such like a, it's, it doesn't make sense. Such a mind fuck. Yeah. It's like. It's like, wait a minute, you spend all this time trying to be beautiful. You do no work on the inside. You don't want to take any accountability with that. Like work, if, if like you, people glow from the inside out, right. you'll transmit right. a different aura. Right. And you can tell how someone really thinks about themselves is like the second someone says, oh, Heather, you look really beautiful. No, I don't. <laughs> oh my God, such a horrible picture. Oh, I can't understand it. Like, yeah, I know. Because that, that, no, that's so much you. emphasis on that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So what, yeah. like, where does that all come? Like, what is that about? What do you think that's about? Like why it goes so far. It's such a big swing in one direction. Is it, is it yes. just like, is it smoke in a mirror type thing? Is it a distraction? Is it like, I feel so bad inside that I got to do this on the outside. Oh, yes. And then I know I don't feel that good. So I can't look that good, even though I'm trying to. And then if you compliment me, I'm going to say no way. And it's like, I don't, I can't wrap my my mind around it. Like, and, and how, and how, like you said, people get an Oscar for going through life that way. <laughs> yeah. And, and as women, I think it's so much harder because of how the media um, tells us we have to be and, and how the media presents us you know if you look at you know you're a photographer mm. what we see is not really the truth yeah. right you, you know about photoshopping yeah. i know about photoshopping and yeah. and so what our children well, and what we are looking at yeah. is I'm, not I'm, i have real. more skill maybe on a computer actually too than like more knowledge you're absolutely right like the the ability to just like here, make this butt bigger, make these thighs smaller, pinch this. Like they do it to these models that you think are like, the models don't even really look like what they look like on the cover of magazines anymore. There's all exactly. these YouTube videos about it. Yeah. So our ideal that we're trying to achieve is not even real. No. And so our, our girls think that, that, you know, nothing is right about the way they look because it's not even achievable. And then, and then now you have the, it's all allegory of the cave, like we were watching the other day. Yes. And then, and then now you, it's, it's compounded even worse with social media because that's Mm. now we're going to tell, we're going to tell this story. And when you look at my profile page, everything's great. Everything's perfect and happy. And, and then we find out that that particular girl, there was a a girl um, at a Pennsylvania college that committed suicide and everybody said, I don't understand. Like she was so happy. Her happy social story. media was so perfect. Yep. And it's almost, I think I sometimes think the people who paint the prettier picture That's on right. social media are the ones that are having the most problems. That's right. Um, because, because then the other people who are so busy with life, 
don't really have time for, or, or, or I mean, we call social media, it, it, it's, it's helped so much in business and it's, it, it's, it's really an incredible tool, but at the same time, it is, um, it's a very narcissistic thing mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're doing it personally and thinking that everybody cares about what you're doing every single minute. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I have a hard time with it. I have uh, a hard time. I, but there's, there's a balance too. Like yes. I, I used to never be able to take like a selfie or anything like that. Yes. But now I'll, now I may consider my, like, cause there's also the argument, like, who are you not to? Right. Right. There's also that side of it. So it's all to me personally, it's all about the intent behind it. So like, true. And how wrapped up am I getting in it? How, how many, I don't know if you saw, if you have an iPhone or not, Heather, <clears> but like, something popped up on my iPhone now that told me my social media usage like for the week. Like there's a little report on there. It tells oh, you like, really? Yeah, I'll show you. So for like, Instagram? Well, for like just in general, like Facebook and like how much time you spend on social media. Oh, and I, I haven't I, There may that. be an advanced setting to where you can see that too. I'm, I, I don't know enough, but we can look at it after or check it out. But I saw like the amount of time one week that I, like I wasn't feeling well. So like I was just like home. I took like two or three days off and I was just like binge watching Narcos and like watching, like watching social media, which by the way, I have like a whole thing I want to talk about that, like the juxtaposition between like what that family felt. But, um, and I said to myself, wow, like how many people are in front of the computer during the day? And like, what could I have done with that many hours doing something else in my life? I can you, I know. Right. Cause you go down that rat hole right. and you're, you're like, where how did I even so, get here? So now it's about, for me, it's about putting the information out with not, not being too attached to like, what happens with it just like putting the best yes. version of myself out there and um like like with this podcast or like taking a picture or something like that and also to capture the moment because yeah. it's like it's pretty cool it's, it's like i've loved to look back over my instagram or when facebook sends me memories of when like mason was little now or like you know it's like yeah. it's pretty cool what happened five years ago to see that so i mean it I, is I, I i like i like the whole quote-unquote capturing the moment and who knows who, who you're going to affect or who's going to see that when you do it. Right? You're right. You're I right. took a picture of a cheeseburger the other day because I like genuinely loved the cheeseburger at my friend Lee's restaurant. And I was like very <laughs> proud of her cheeseburger. And like seven people told me that so far, like in the next couple of days, like they're going or like they want, like I did it cause I genuinely loved it. And I was happy that my son and I were getting a burger. Uh-huh. But like you were capturing the moment, yeah. Yeah, but then it had a cool effect because now maybe someone would have like a great burger, and you know, or someone could argue that that would be, not be beneficial. <laughs> but there's, you know, well, but you like, gave friendly some business, right? Yeah, and that's what I'm like, you know, in the, so it's like it's you're an influencer. Yeah, you know, it's, it's like, and and I think that's the beauty of it too. We all have the ability to be an influencer. It's just like also check yourself. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, check check what you're you're putting yeah, out there. Like, well, what you're putting out there, and like how how important is it really right? It's, it's like, it's the system. It's like, it's a balance. Like when you were talking about of like planning and also like doing this, the program, doing the 12 steps, but also having your sponsor at the same time say, Hey man, let go. When your daughter asks you, you'll know when the right time is. Yeah. So it's like, like that being responsible and like, it's such a balance for me at least of like keeping everything together and planning and being organized and having a calendar, but like, being just as carefree at the same time, like keeping it light, having fun, you know, like not taking it so serious. Right, right. Not being like so caught up in myself. Yes, because if if that's, I mean, if it takes you 10 hours to post 
one thing, you're thinking too much about it. Mm-hmm. it that, that's, that's not what we should be doing. It's not what we should be spending our time on because really people are going to look at it for one sec. They're going to scroll by it. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and, and I hope that I've gotten that across to my children. My daughter's not very big on social media. She likes to look at others, but she doesn't post very much. And, yeah. and I'm proud of her for that. She's a stalker. She's, she's more of a stalker. I'm more of a stalker than a poster. I mean, I, I post for my clients and I post for my business, yeah. but I'm not very active on, um, I don't, I don't think I've posted for a couple of years on my, on my personal, personal yeah. and, and it's very important for business owners. It's very important for people to see like the moments that you're talking about. It's very important to share more about yourself because yeah. that's important for people to get to know you and why you do what you do. Yeah. Um, and, and that's something I love. That's, that's where the scout guide comes into play with these local business owners like yourself, where I like to delve into why you're doing what you're doing. So many times business owners, local business owners are finally doing something that they really want to do. They might've had a, a, a career somewhere else, maybe on wall street because it's what they thought they needed to do or they had to do but they weren't happy. And then they finally got to the point where they, they could, they could, they, they had enough capital to, to start a I business. Saw, I saw a meme, Heather, and it's like, it says money doesn't make you happy. You know, you get all the money in the world and, and, and someone commented underneath, like, I would like to have to be able to make that decision myself. <laughs> I know, I know, <laughs> it's right? Like, <laughs> and it's like, there's the juxtaposition again, right? It's yep. like, you, like just what you had to go through to get you where you are and myself, what I had to go through. And it's like these people, they may have not have been happy, but hey man, it was a catalyst to have the capital or whatever they needed to be able to do what they want. So yes. so there was a purpose. Yeah. There was absolutely a purpose. Um, and, and, it, and it also takes a lot of guts because just because you have the capital doesn't mean that your your business will be successful. And But yeah. I think people like you who are doing what they absolutely believe in and, and, and what they should be doing. You've been helping people for years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but I, I love seeing people who have had these passions finally get to be able to do this for a living. Like, Oh my gosh, what a concept you can make a living at, at something that you love to do. I never realized that yeah. when I was in college, I just thought you do what you're supposed to do. I just back to the language thing real quick. Uh-huh. You just said helping people. And then I know exactly what you meant and your intent behind it. Uh-huh. But I just want to say something like, uh, it's like the have to, like if you said, oh, I have to go do something doesn't mean it was negative, have to get to. I want to be clear that just like you were talking about with sponsoring people, I don't help anybody. Do you know what I mean? Okay. And what I mean by that is that I provide a space for people and, and space and tools to empower others to help themselves. Wow. Okay. Because I'm nobody's guru, uh, and I'm no, I'm not. It's like I'm not taking that responsibility. You don't get to put that on me. Do you know what I mean? I like that. Yeah. And like similar. So that's why. Like, yes, I, that's exactly what uh, I was saying. But you said it so much more eloquently. Well, I got that that training. They taught me this <laughs> because I used to say I said something. He goes, anyone, no one's maybe a child needs help because they can't change their own diaper and they're not they don't know how to move so like you know just like a child can be abandoned right but at this age we're not going to be abandoned and like we don't need no we're not we're not so broken to where we can't be fixed like we get to help ourselves like and that that's the empower that's 
taking empowerment and 100% accountability and 100% responsibility. And that's what you're doing with your sponsor, sponsees. You're guiding people. You're, you're just telling them, yeah. dude, you're not putting that responsibility on me. And all of a sudden, from what I got from you, they're like, well, holy macro, like I'm free falling right now. I can't use my code. I can't use like my sucky codependent on Heather, but she's supposed to be my sponsor. So like, what do I do? And she's telling me like, no, dude, you're just going to do this and you're going to kind of leave me alone. You're going to do this work. And when this work is done, come back to me. I'll tell you what the next step is. And all of a sudden it, it's on them. Yeah. And they have to do it. Do you know the first time someone, my sponsor told me that yeah. when I called to complain about something and you know, it, the answer was Heather, go to page, you know, 165 in the big, big book. And, and, and be and, a big girl, and and be a good, <laughs> big girl, and and, and, and stop complaining. Big time. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't help you. Like you telling me this yeah. is not going to help you. It's not going to help me, and I'm not going to be able to tell you anything. Just go go to your book, and 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 think about what you just did yeah. and what you just said. You're not going to enroll me in your bullshit. Yes, you know, and it, and and it's like, well, I don't have to talk to you again. But you know, it's like. Two minutes later, it sinks in and it's like, oh my gosh, you were absolutely right. Yeah. Listen to me. Like, let me step outside myself for a second and and let me just look at that conversation. That was so ugly of me. That was my ugly side. Yeah, exactly. So what I also love too is now you go through this whole thing and we could get real deep into how you, um, how you lost everything and then you, you brought it back and how you worked for your children and all that. What's really interesting to me though, too. Uh, because we're we're actually going on, believe it or not, it's like over two hours. Oh my gosh, I have to go. <laughs> <laughs> Went like that, right? Oh my gosh, what time is it? I don't even know. <laughs> I, I'm sorry that. Is it three o'clock? I don't know. I gotta check. I gotta check the phone. Hold on. I can check right here. You got your bag? Yeah. <laughs> it is 3.02. We hit a time warp. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> back <laughs> how long Sorry. 12 30 to 1 30 1 30 to 2 30 so two and a half hours two and a half hours yeah okay. cool all right well. so we'll wrap it up real quick yeah. okay. well, kind of real quick you have to go like right this second not right this second but um yeah, we got within a few minutes yeah, me too. Yeah, i'm sorry so, heather and i decided we'll get back on i guess then but we wanted to get together and like get on the mics because we're gonna be throwing this christmas party when you listen to this on january 10th yes. or uh, you're the uh scout guides I should say holiday party or New Year's party. What, what do you call it? Launch party, we launch, call it. The launch. <laughs> the launch. Launching into the new year? <laughs> well, yeah. it's the launch of the book. So, Oh, oh for this. Um, yeah. yeah, so we put out an annual guide. Yeah. And so this is our fourth volume. Yeah. So every year when we put out the newest edition, we call it a launch party and we get everybody together who yeah. is um, yeah. in the book and, and, and some, some others as well. So Heather and I were talking about like at the launch party because she's going to do it here at Summis. And we're talking about like, all right, so, you know, I got to talk about the magazine and say something. And will you get up and say something about someone's about yourself? And both looked at each other because, like, we don't want to be too long-winded in front, of, <laughs> in front of everyone, you know? And so I was like, Heather, let's cut the bullshit and, like, let's jump on a podcast and really, like, get to know each other and tell our stories. And, um, and that's how we got here today. And so we wanted to give this as a download in the, in the gift for the party, like with the bag or in like a little card or something. So people can always listen to it because for me, there's one, one quick thing I wanted 
What's that, Heather? <laughs> I didn't know this was going in the, in the bag. Well, no, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to go in the bag, but it was like, it was at the, it was. At, <laughs> Did you see a panic go over uh, my no, face? No, at the end of the party, though, it was like, you can go download the podcast. Okay. I, I mean, it's like, I was going to make like a rat card or like something. Okay. No big deal. We'll put it up on the projector and say, here, go to iTunes. <laughs> yeah. Whatever, okay. guys. I'm talking out of my ass right now. It may or may not be in your bag. Yeah, they will decide. <laughs> but here's the thing. The Scout Guide, and you can check out the Scout Guide, New Jersey. You can check out Thomas. Heather and I can always talk about business with you. But what's really cool about this, and the last little story I wanted Heather to tell quickly in a nutshell, because I know you have to go. We got to get moving. Is the Scout Guide was after Heather was going to make an adoption. <laughs> And that was the coolest thing to me, like her why, because she like she really wanted a way to give back. And your giving back was like, where were you in South America? We were in Guatemala, Guatemala. on a mission trip with yeah. our church. On a mission. Yeah. And we were working with an orphanage there and I fell in love with this little boy. This, yeah. He was three years old. Yeah. And I just, I connected with him and I just wanted to take him home so badly. And, and obviously all of these children are adoptable. And I, I was seriously thinking about it and John and I were not married yet. We were seriously dating. Um, and we spoke about it and here's John, he's almost 60 at this, but he's about 57 at that point. And, um, he has three grown children, minors, you know, like fifth grade and ninth grade. And, you know, the panic that came over him when he realized that I was, a hundred percent sure committed that I wanted to do this. Um, he decided, well, it, it, it kind of coincided with a trip that we took to Virginia and I saw the scout guide for the first time, yeah. uh, the Charlottesville scout guide. And, um, he, he had, he, he made me call before we even got home. Um, we called headquarters and find out to find out more about it and to find out if there was a New Jersey edition yet. Um, and so that's where we started. What do you our, like about the scout? Like you're in Virginia. Is that where it originated? Um, it originated in Charlottesville. Okay. So like what caught your eye? So, um, my cousin's friend had a couple of copies and, um, we were visiting my relatives and she told me about it because she lived in Greenville mm. and she, a, a friend of hers was the editor of the Greenville, not the green, no Greensboro, Greensboro, excuse me. Um, and she had asked this friend Beth to help her with the scout guide um, to come on board. And so Beth was deciding at that time whether she wanted to. Not this Beth. Not this Beth. Another Beth. Yeah, Beth that lives in Greensboro, my, one of my cousin's childhood friends. So she was trying to decide if she wanted to get involved. And so she knew the whole spiel and everything. And so she gave it to, to John and I. Mm-hmm. And we were. Um, we were very impressed. What caught my eye was just the beauty of it. Yeah, it's got a distinct look. It has a distinct. The cover is so beautifully put together. the The photography is so beautiful, um, and you know the overall design. And mm-hmm. I know you can appreciate that absolutely. Um, so, and then when Beth told me all about it, I thought, "Wow, what a what a great way to." So, what? what how would you sum up what it is? So, the Scout Guide. Uh, well. It was it was founded as a blog, and it was founded because our owner, our founder, um, Susie Matheson, was shopping locally in Charlottesville, and she heard a, she overheard a woman say, "I'm going to go home and buy these shoes that she had just tried on at this local boutique." 
on Zappos and save $30. And Susie wondered to herself, what's going to happen to local with all of these big businesses online that can they can give you exactly what you're shopping for, you know, $30 cheaper. Mm. So she decided that she, you know, she would set out on her mission to help save local. And this blog was very popular. And, um, and, and her friend, Christy Ford was a photographer in, in New York, um, for shelter magazines, house beautiful. Um, she moved to Charlottesville with her family and they decided to put out the, the physical book after the blog had been around for a while and the beauty of it is that it supports local businesses. You're not going to see any mall businesses there mm-hmm. um, in the book. Um, and um, and it's all professional photography. So everything in the book we create. Um, so it's, it, you know, we scout the businesses. Mm-hmm. We find the businesses that are either uh, a business that we've been using for years um, that we know of or has been highly recommended by a friend or it might be a newcomer who we're really fascinated with and, and, and that's aligned with, with, with our thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, and, and so it's, it's there, each of these businesses are our personal recommendations. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't put anything in this book that I wouldn't personally recommend to a, yeah. to a friend. Um, so it, they all, all these businesses have our stamp of approval. And if something happens, um, and I'll tell you a little bit about the longevity quickly, our new Orleans editor had put out her first guide um, and it was, um, it was a, uh, a, it included a home decor shop right on magazine street in new Orleans. She started getting caught. She got a call right off the bat from someone who had a really bad experience there with the owner. And so our editor there said, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I had no idea and didn't plan on putting it in the book in the future. And she's working on her seventh or eighth volume now. And she still gets calls about that volume one. So it means that that volume one is still circulating. The owner's still causing trouble. <laughs> She's still causing troubles. And poor Taylor, you know, is still hearing about it. But she hasn't put it Let in tell you how good this volume is. one. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you, it shows you you're getting your money's worth out of yeah. this book, right? And that's the beauty of it is that the people don't throw them away because yeah. they are pretty yeah. and they're a reference. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you make a mistake and put someone in there, that might not be the greatest experience. I mean, things change, right? But <laughs> things I think change. The coolest part about what I heard you say was I heard mission in Guatemala. And then I heard you say mission with the scout guide to support local. Like you're on a mission. We're on a mission. And you, and you really are. <laughs> and like you have, you have, you have a why behind it of to supporting the local community and supporting the community in your way. Just like I have my mission of supporting the community, which is, I think we vibe so well, you know, it's just yes. like. It's about local. It's about if you can, if you can, we spoke about this the other day and you said that you love, you love the, uh, the saying that if you can change a community, you can change the state. And if you can change the state, you can change the country. And if you can change the country, you can change the world. Right. So like it starts right I love here. that. So I may have probably hacked it, Heather, but something like oh, that. Oh, I was going to say, <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to copyright that. Yeah, we'll find it. <laughs> um, but it's, uh that we're, we're supporting local and we're supporting our towns and we're starting from the grassroots. You yes. know, so many people are like, and I, I think maybe it sounds like, and it sounds similar to what you were just telling me with the blog and then deciding to do an actual, something you can touch and feel with the magazine, with the, uh, with the booklet. Right. Cause everyone's like, Oh, well, you just put stuff online and you don't need a brick and mortar studio. Like, no man, you need a third space. There's work, you there's do. home and there's and like, you know, even though this place costs a lot of money to run and it's, I have to keep it clean. And it's like, but, 
it's it's a place like it, you can touch and you can feel it and it's local and it's a place that people can walk into and like an elevated space that you can enjoy and that's how i feel about the scout guide it's like an elevated something i can hold and feel and read and like you handpick everyone you design you design each ad you have a relationship with these people and you stand behind the businesses and or not even use them yourself yes and that's like that's why i just wanted to thank you again in person right now i know i did it on social media but like, I don't know what's included or what's not included when you get into the book and all that. Donna did all that with you. So thank you for putting us in the, thank you so much oh, for putting us course. in the scout guide. But what I loved is the relationship that you and I have developed through this and with, and with John. And, um, I don't know, like the, the, that guide that you did for the shopping guide was something like you said that you wanted to do without mm-hmm. me. Like, and so thank you for choosing oh, and like, of like out of experience. Like I know you, you saw the impact it had on your husband Yes. And like what it's been doing. And like, I just thank you so much for putting Summis as like the number one float oh. in, in the gift guide. And like from your heart though, you know what I mean? This is yes. like, these are genuine that, like, I paid <laughs> recommendations. Off, paid off uh, Heather to do like to put me as number one, like, and that just meant so much and for taking three hours of your time, two and a half, three hours of your time right now, more with travel to be with me. And of and, course, and, like, thank you. I'm just really, really glad that uh, I got, I, I've met you. I've got a ton of love and admiration and respect for you. And, yeah. uh, I look forward to what Likewise. we, yeah, man, it's going to be awesome. Maybe, you know, get, as we were sitting here and I had an idea of vision, Heather, of, of like, like stories of a community, like community stories, like something like that. I'll play with it. But like, you can see that, right. And oh, yeah. I can see why you, you looked up and like, and so like getting the local business owners in here with us, you know, to tell their story because their story. we're curious business, business about aside, them. Like we, you know, go online, look at the scout guide and go online, look at Summis and we can do like a quick 20 minute podcast. that's like to the point and you know, right. Cause I want to ask you questions. Yeah. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I came here with the mission to ask you questions yeah. to learn about Summis, yeah. to be able to, to write an article about yeah. you. And we, we, I'd love to do that and be more than, and I, and like I said, we get more succinct and do it with, so like this is okay. for the scout guide also, but this is just so, this is so powerful for me. Like I have so much, like even more love for you after this conversation, you know, like I knew a little bit of your story, but like now after the depth that we just went, I know there's like so much more to expand on that. And it's just like how many people in our community have a story that they can tell that maybe someone else is going through who else out, out there knows, like was going through something else with their ex that now knows about children in between or that it's okay to, to have an addiction to, to, uh, to painkillers and admit it and like get help in rehab and like put the like, and, or that they know maybe like they can hit us up now. If, you know, Heather and I are here. Uh, I'm going to speak for her. Cause I already know, like don't go hurt yourself. Like email us, do something like we're, we will put you in touch with the right people. Like that's what the community is oh, about. There's so much hope. There's yeah. so much hope. And if, if you're at the bottom of the barrel and, and, and you have deep despair, which is where addicts end up, yeah. um, you, you can do it. Yeah. If I can do it, anyone can do it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, you look back and it, it's, it seems like yesterday that this happened to me. Yeah. It's been almost 15 years. So. And, and Heather, isn't right. Isn't that like, that's the balance they're talking about, like not planning, like, and not being too narcissistic. It's like, yes, Heather, as special as you are. And like, as much as that's so real to you, it's not that original of a story. It's we're not that unique. Yeah. So like, anyone <laughs> that's really listening aren't. to that, like, you're not like as much as like, 
you are unique and your own little snowflake, like you're not at the same time. Like that's the, that's the paradox, right? It's like exactly. there's so many other people that are going through the same thing you are and have been there and it's going to be okay. Yes. So and, like, and you can tell me your worst story yeah. and my eyes are not going to get any bigger. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to surprise me. I've heard it all, man. Yes. No judgment. Yeah. No judgment here. And, and that's, that is so vital when you're going through something. If you can talk to someone who's not going to judge you. Yeah. And that's the space. That's the space that Heather holds. That's the intention that this, the, the resonance of this magazine that you'll hold, that's where it comes from, from Heather. And that's what we have here at Summit. So Thank you so Absolutely. much, Heather. And Thank I look you. forward to getting back Give on me. here. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have a great day. Thank you for having me. All right, guys. Bye-bye. Bye.